so much, but they never tell you if it's any good. Are either one of these any good? Sir? What? Are either one of these any good? I don't watch movies. Well, have you heard anything about either one of them? I find it's best to stay out of other people's affairs. You mean you haven't heard anybody say anything about either one of these? Nope. Well, what about these two? Well, they suck. These are the same two movies? You weren't paying any attention. No, I wasn't. I don't think your manager would appreciate it. I don't it appreciate your ruse, ma'am. I beg your pardon? Your ruse, your cunning attempt to trick me. I was only pointing out that you weren't paying any attention to what I was saying. Uh, I hope it feels good. You hope what feels good? I hope it feels so good to be right. There's nothing more exhilarating than pointing out the shortcomings of others, is there? Well, this is the last time I rent here. You'll be missed. Screw you! Hey, you're not allowed to rent here anymore. Well, 72 hours after the fact, I'm still... Sample email that just came in four minutes ago. Rick, check out this bass harmonica on YouTube. I think I've moved off of it. I think I'm just going to be content in my ignorance. I'm just going to... I'm just going to sit back and... I'm just going to uh, accept the fact that there's certain things that are unknowable. All right. Uh, can you uh, sweeten my microphone ever so slightly? I sound a little flat again today. Or is that my hallucinating that? Am I projecting? Is it my imagination? All right. Then we're going to go forward as though nothing happened. No one heard that just now. All right. It's uh, two minutes and 18 seconds after the hour of 11, and this the month of March in the year of our Lord 2008. Thank you for coming along, making a part of your listening day. We are live from the lushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM 970 Solid State Radio. This, my friends, is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Yeah, thank you for coming along, making a part of your listening day. It is Monday, and... Uh, Welcome to uh, Day 12. Thank you for coming along. 503-733-2970. If uh, you would like to join us today, 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. With your comments, questions, clarifications, kvetches, two cents, hate mail, uh, whatever you might have uh, to, uh, to bring to the table on this. When you say tomorrow, is that today or is that does it always have to be tomorrow? Whatever, it doesn't matter. Um... In any event, Richie the Bristol is standing by, ready, willing, and able to pass along your observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, the mundane. So uh, thank you for uh, coming by today. It is 503-733-2970. If you'd like to email, you can do that as well. It's rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Sarah at 970.am. Tim at 970.am. Or Richie with a T uh, at 970.am. All right. Uh, lots to get to today. Let me start by saying that we'll have uh, Lisa Desjardins joining us today. She will uh, be there on the Hill as the Hillary Clinton campaign does everything they can to sort of passively tie Barack Obama to this, what is that, nutcase uh, minister or whatever? Yeah, yeah we're going to hear some uh, soundbite. Really? Yeah. Fantastic. Do you have the one where he's saying that 9-11 that was America's fault? I'm not, I'm not sure what I have here. What's up? So, anyway, uh, let's see. What else? Uh, James Roop will be joining us today from Los Angeles, where I guess 
I don't know. I guess the court is trying to extract that Sam Lutfi guy like some sort of a some sort of a subdermal tick. He's trying to trying to excise him from Britney's life with varying degrees of success today. Uh, what else? Uh, Peter Carlin uh, from the Oregonian joins us today. We'll uh, have a top five. Let me just say this. <laughs> Today's top five is actually so awful. This is the first time in recent memory that I willingly shortened to top five so that I wouldn't have to hear all of the songs. Because, you know, we always do, we do five and then an honorable mention. There's a total of six songs. The six songs were actually so awful today that I just dropped the honorable mention altogether. So we're, it really, truly is a top five today. The honorable mention, I, I was just sitting there this morning at my desk and just sort of slumping forward more and more lifeless with every passing song, sort of assembling them all. And by the time I got to the honorable mention, I was just like, Christ, I just, I just, couldn't, I just couldn't take it anymore. I mean, I was like, song number one, uh, song number two. And I felt like sort of, what's his name in Doom? Were you looking down? And with every passing song, my life force was lower and my face was becoming progressively more bloodied. And by the time I got done with the fifth song, I just, I think up the stairs, I think I literally just said, F it. And I just closed the computer and I was done. Are you going to tell us what the theme is? Oh, yeah. No, it's great. It's, uh, I didn't create this list. Somebody sent this to me. Uh, I think a guy named Brad sent this to me. This is from Q Magazine, which is a British music magazine. One of the best music magazines in the world. Uh, it is the top five albums you will see used in every record store. So it's the top five uh, albums that you see in every used record bin, according to Q Magazine. And they're all bad. And some of them are bad in really horrific ways, and some of them are just sort of mediocre. Anyway, so I got done with the five, and I just pulled the record. I couldn't bear to do a sixth one. Uh, we have that coming up today. Uh, Britney Watch, Whitney Watch, uh, Geek Watch coming up today uh, as well. And uh, some other stuff. It's 503-733-2970 if you would like to join us on this St. Patrick's Day. 503-733-2970. Back and rested, ready, and working on the following stories for your edification. I'm deadly tired, Tim. (laughs) I got home late. Really? But the good thing is, if you come home late from Portland, you'll always end up with Bob the Shuttle Driver. And, and Bob, welcome home, welcome home. Where has everyone been? Would anyone like to hear a joke? Uh, like one of those guys that does like a bus tour in Manhattan. You want to, you want to hear Bob's joke? Yes. On the way back to the Blue Lot. More than any, more than anything. <laughs> what do you call a row of bunny rabbits who are walking backward? Sarah. I have no idea. Bob's answer: a receding hairline. <laughs> Thank you for riding the blue shuttle. Is he mentally retarded? No, he just talks like that. But anytime you come home late from Portland, you always get Bob the butt. Welcome home, welcome home. I'm always glad to get Bob because he drops you right next to your car. <laughs> That's fantastic. Sort of like a Down syndrome Captain Kangaroo. Yeah. <laughs> but he gets you there. Genius. Wonderful. The uh, and of course and I'm like I park like nine miles away from the airport because I'm a cheap bastard. I, I won't pay more to to park close. So I, I, like you, I'm always standing in the drizzle, you know, bus stop 7ZZ or whatever, waiting for the bus to come by and pick me up. And then I'm always forgetting whether I'm on the blue line or the red line. I have to come up with a series of increasingly complex mnemonic devices to try to remember exactly where my car has been left. So, uh, all right. Uh, well, it, you know what? It, it was windy and chilly in Los Angeles. It was like being home, but without the rain. Now, is that the... Well, that's a, that's very uncommon. I know, and I was freezing it because I, I was spending most of the weekend at Universal Studios. Right. 
And, uh, yeah, we had jackets on. Of course, the wind blows up that hill. Now, did you dress uh, as though you were going to be in the normal, typical Southern California weather? Well, I brought a suit coat with me. Okay. Because I, I was with a bunch of old, you know, other news people. They, people dressed to kill there, especially the TV people. And so I had a suit coat on, but it was really, really breezy. So Wait, why did you spend the weekend at Universal Studios? Well, it was kind of a media thing going on this weekend. And uh, we got a special tour of the Simpsons ride, which they're opening allegedly in May, but it looks like it's only a quarter of the way done. Fantastic. Because they took down the uh, Back to the Future ride. Right. And on the same spot that you're building the new Simpsons ride. Was the Back to the Future ride just shaking uncontrollably? It was gone. It, it is gone completely. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's a terrible... I'm, I shouldn't have done that. You, you belong driving a shuttle bus. <laughs> Back or, to the blue line. Or doing Timmy Ryan segments. That's true. <laughs> By the way, speaking of Timmy Ryan, we should say, uh, all kidding aside, he did a pretty great job on Thursday and Friday. Uh, it is always nice to have things back to normal, though. So welcome home, Tim Riley. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be home. I do want to give a uh, shout-out to my peeps in uh, L.A., uh, Hell Eisner of Fox 11, Rachel Ambrose, who uh, leads the AP, and Josh Rubenstein of uh, CBS2 and KCAL 9. Tim leads a much more exciting life than we do. Yeah, I don't... I was just eating... I've known him for years, and I still don't really know him. <laughs> I was eating Fritos on the couch all week. That's and the, the funny thing is, here, here are a bunch of news people uh, standing around Universal Studio, and we saw somebody get beat up, and we're all, what do we do? Do we call 911? <laughs> oh, this is scary. I hope he doesn't come over here and beat us up. Let's hide in an alley. Exactly. Genius. I hope he doesn't come... <laughs> it, was, it was the strangest thing. This, this uh, person, probably an illegal alien is walking in the middle of the parking lane and some tourist in an SUV says, hey, get out of the way, and uh, words were exchanged. The uh, possibly illegal alien opens up the door, pulls the guy out, and cold conks him right there. Really? And there were no security courts, just uh, uh, two dozen news people standing there going, wondering what to do. (laughs) So I tried calling 911, and my cell phone did not work at Universal (laughs) Studios. So this guy is lying in the road, and finally his wife pulls him back into the SUV. And they get out of sitting there being being Reginald Denny right in the middle of the road. I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh. I just like the idea of like 55 news people standing there trying to go, what do we do? And we don't don't know. We're standing there in suit coats and ties. I don't want to get rumpled and bloody. Let's stand here and observe. Uh, I think that was pretty fun. Well, the news, they have all that they have all that training and standing around doing nothing from the early days of the Iraq war. Well, Let's we just stand here and watch. Well, we had just finished more training when we were walking down the hill <laughs> after the training exercises. <laughs> and we see somebody pulled out of an issue and beaten senseless. <laughs> what do we do? I don't know. Let's callously observe and then get a snack. We don't want to get dirty. We're all dressed up here. I don't want to get, want to get blood on my ascot. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Yes, it sounds sounds like it. For some, anyway. Uh, and all I right. had two Krispy Kreme donuts and I shouldn't have. Really? Yeah. I get about halfway through a donut and it always sort of turns on me. I get one bite too many and then I kind of go, oh, this is a bad idea, and I put it down. By the way, I am sort of thinking of the tourist now who was pulled out of the SUV and beaten. Yeah. I'm wondering if... I, see, now I'm picturing, like in my head, him telling the story where he was... And then there were these 55 people across. They all had phones and they were doing nothing. And the weird thing was, you have all, all these, you know, TV tracks. Say, all the cameras are locked away. Everybody's going to dinner. <laughs> Not one camera around to capture the event. Well, what's one more beating in Los Angeles? That's I mean, true. really, honestly. <laughs> Just one more on the pile. Oh. And their subway system is like our Max. It's the honor system, believe it or not. 
In Los Angeles? In Los Angeles. You can walk right on without buying it, and they're only a buck twenty-five. Honor in Los Angeles. Honor in Los Angeles. All right. Well. So I wrote, you can ride from Universal Studios to Hollywood and Vine and get off, and you're right at the uh, Kodak Theater, which is really handy now. I haven't uh, uh, I haven't been to, to, well, I haven't been to Universal Studios in, in any capacity for the longest time, but forever. Yeah. I don't even remember what it looks like at this point. It's, it's been so long since I've been there. It's a big hill. Oh. All right. Oh, so but it was... By the way, did you uh, did you clean your uh, your work area over there today? Very well, very well. I, I know that everything. I know that some people are going to call up and talk about this, regardless. So, did you clean the keyboard and yep. the microphone? Did you clean everything. The chair. Oh, I didn't clean the chair. <laughs> <laughs> here's the here's the here's well, the I, thing. I know we have less of a mess than we used to have here on Monday. Well, no, that is true. Uh, the studio is now cleaner on Mondays than it once was. Here's the thing about uh, your work area today. It's clean. Well, one would hope so. Um, better you hear it from us than from on the street, Tim. Uh, so Timmy Ryan, God bless him, was, was yes, here. God bless Timmy Ryan, all of us. <laughs> was here on Thursday and Friday, uh, filling in for you to the best of his abilities. And um, a, we discovered. I'll just work uh, up the 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 ladder in t- terms of ascending horror. So a, we discovered at one point he'd been doing the whole show with no shoes on. Um, B. We discovered that not only was he not wearing any shoes, he was, in fact, wearing socks and, in fact, an entire wardrobe that he'd had on for more than a day. So, <laughs> see, he just dropped his pen. See, but then we haven't even gotten to the worst part yet. No, we haven't. So, no, no, we haven't. He, had, uh, he had failed to change his clothes for more than 24 hours, <laughs> including, I'm assuming, his undergarments, because he'd spend the evening with a lady and just couldn't be bothered to go home and scrub. So... There's all sorts of filth over there in your chair. That's not really the worst of it, though. That's not the worst of it. No. All right. Sarah, tell Tim the worst of it. Well, Tim, <laughs> the entire time you were God, uh, I already feel dirty. <laughs> I would have wa- wa- washed my hands. Here's, here's Timmy the... Ryan had uncontrollable itching the entire time and believed that he might have scabies. <laughs> we don't really believe it was scabies, to be That's fair. That's contagious. No. <laughs> well, yes. I guess we'll find out. To, to be fair, we do believe, I should say this, to be fair, it, it, does, it does appear uh, that he, uh, while at this lady friend's house, he had, I guess maybe he had showered, though. He hadn't changed clothes, but he'd showered, and I don't understand what the Which point is. Which is kind of pointless if he's putting on weird, dirty boxers and socks. Apparently she had some sort of heavily perfumed soap to which he had an allergic reaction. This is his okay. claim, anyway. And so he had, as he described it, an intense all-over body itching. So all, all day Thursday, and there's no way I can, I can, I have to recreate this. So all day Thursday, can you uh, pop my mic up? No, I don't want to hear no, that. No, 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 I have to demonstrate it for Tim. So all day Thursday, we would hear this. And I'm Timmy Ryan. Okay, that's enough. Sort of just the big scratching. And it was somehow so loud, it was carrying right into his microphone. So, anyway. So if he goes to his dermatologist, they'll prescribe another. Because I can only use certain kinds of soap also. Yeah, no, no, no. That's what I do. I don't think Timmy Ryan's the kind of guy that has a dermatologist, though. And I don't really know that he's exposed to soap all that often. So maybe it was just some sort of a reaction to soap in general. And he kept, like, saying, oh, don't I look clean? But he doesn't look clean. He never looks clean. (laughs) Don't I look clean? As literally, as, like, one, as one hand was in his pants pocket and the other was at the back of his shirt, scratching himself as though he were a lottery ticket. No, no, but I I can see him with with the toothpick hanging out of his mouth asking some broad to marry him. <laughs> Come on, baby. 
the uh, getting ready getting ready to uh, to marry one of his underage cousins, Jerry Lee Lewis style. Yes. He just has that. He does. He has that. Uh, he does have that 1958 uh, rockabilly look to him. You are right. Meet my best man, Carmen Mugusa. <laughs> All right. Did we did we even tease news? Well, we teased it, but we've been teasing a lot of things. Oh, should I read these headlines? I don't know. Have you? I've already lost track. As I was driving home last night, late, there was a big apartment building on fire. And it was uh, in Southwest. It was a three alarm. There were cops everywhere. We'll talk about that. There was a valiant rescue effort by a passing motorist to save a truck driver locked inside his burning rig at I-205 this morning. Imagine that. Uh, a Longview descendant of the Jello fortune won't get a dime. Not so for Heather Mill. She's getting $48 million. We'll talk to her. We'll also hear a little bit about uh, Madonna's new single with Justin Timberlake. Ex-Governor Spitzer's call girl gets a million dollars from Larry Flint, well, an offer anyway. There's a new scandal involving former New Jersey Governor Jim McGreevy, involving his ex-wife and his driver at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> oh, boy. The uh, drummer from ABBA is found dead. And this is very interesting. A big dig is underway in Death Valley, where searchers hope to find more of Charles Manson's victims. My wife told me about that last night. This is how much does my wife know me and love me. So I was uh, so she came home last night from whatever the hell she was doing. She was doing something yesterday. Anyway, so she came home. And she's like, "Have you heard the Charles Manson news?" And I hadn't because I've been because you know what I've been spending all my free time this weekend doing reading that radio book you gave me, uh, which is I had. I sort of put it off because Tim had given me this book that I think a listener had given you. It was so long ago, I forgot what I gave you. A book called Raised on Radio. Yes. (laughs) And I had looked at it, and it sort of looked like one kind of book. And 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 it turned out to be a different kind of Once book. Once you start reading it, no, 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 you get sucked in. It is fantastic. It is wonderful. I'm not going to go on and on about it, except to say that it's a book that is basically a behind-the-scenes sort of a, I don't say tell-all because it makes it sound very salacious, but but really a behind-the-scenes uh, story of, of the golden days of radio. Uh, you know, the 40s and the 50s and the, the, the celebrities thereon, uh, Jack Benny and uh, Fred Corwin and The Lone Ranger and whatever. It's just a fascinating book. And it is amazing how little has changed. I mean, 60 years later, how everything is exactly the same as it was then. So anyway, so I spent my whole weekend reading a book. Uh, and I have some sort of a system shock because of it, too. I'm going through TV withdrawal. But so my wife came home and said, have you heard about the Manson news? And I hadn't. Uh, and she said, no, it turns out they found more bodies at Spawn Ranch. So it's all very exciting. So we'll hear more about that. Uh, joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented uh, Sarah X. Why, hello. Hello. I was just looking at this thing on the Internet. Did you go and see uh, Tori Spelling's book signing when you were in Hollywood? No, I did not. She had a big book signing. You should, I know that you're a fan of her. Kind of a book to Tori Spelling. It's put called up. Storytelling. How about that? Uh-huh. But story spelled T-O-R-I. No, I had too much to do. Oh, I see. Okay. Story with an I. Yeah. Okay. All um. Right. Yeah. So you wasted your weekend reading a book. I wasted mine watching the entire first season of Six Feet Under. Okay. How great is that show? It is so good. It's pretty fantastic. It, it's a, it's an amazing show. Um. Yeah. Actually, I almost finished it. I I have one more episode. Left. It's it's not a bad show at all. It does sort of a slow fade the longer it goes on. It, they they took it a couple seasons too long. But when it was good, it was excellent. Mm-hmm. Uh. I, and I envy you. I hate to say this. Can you turn me up a little bit more? It really it does sound odd to my ears today. And this is the last thing I'll say about it because maybe I'm hallucinating. Maybe it's my ears. I think it was perfect, and then you wanted to scratch yourself, so then I had to, I had to readjust it. <laughs> um, here's why I envy you. Uh, see, now I'm becoming itchy just talking about it. Um, I envy you because you now have the second season of Six Feet Under to watch, which is, in my opinion, the best of the series. Awesome. Six Feet Under's second season is gold. And I have this weird thing for Michael C. Hall. I just I want to see everything that he's in. He's it's, such a bizarre, like, great actor. You know, he's an attractive man, and he has a certain a certain strange charisma to him. He really does. And that show's also got Peter Krause from Sports Night, who is great. It's got the mom, who I find kind of strangely hot. 
So it has uh, Ed Bagley Jr. I don't remember Ed Bagley Jr. being in the first season of Six Feet Under. Yeah, he plays uh, Hyman, Hiram. Not Hyman. <laughs> Hyman. <laughs> he plays her. Uh, the, Let's play Hyman. He plays Ruth's uh, boyfriend. That I'll get the having stick. The affair with. Oh yeah, that's right. Okay, fair enough. And then it's got the dad who is great. Yeah. Uh, the dad who's dead. So that's it's just it's a pretty wonderful show. Uh, and they, you know, the, and that gimmick of killing somebody in the opening credit sequence that never makes gets me old. So nervous. Oh, though. it's great. No, and it's oh. it, and it fills you with dread every single time every you single watch time. it. Every single time. Yeah, the the greatest one I think was the lady hanging out at the top of the limo. Yeah. No, it's a, that it's, was disgusting. It's not a bad uh, it's not a bad show at all. So you did that when that's, I... That's all I've been doing every weekend, though. It's like I go out at night, and then I spend all day... Because it's been rainy, so they're really wrong with that. I spend all day watching... Like, last weekend, it was, what, Dexter, I think? <clears throat> I spend all Saturday, all Sunday watching it, and then I'll, like, meet up with my friends at, like, 7, 7.30, then go out, then start it all over again the next day. You know, that's what raises us above the savages, though, Sarah. The fact that we, uh, the fact that we have television. Uh, so now you're scratching, too, by the way. I know, I am. Uh, so I spent... Well, so I did two things this weekend. I was reading this, this book called Raised on Radio, which is great. But then when I wasn't doing that, I was actually watching, uh, I'm trying to catch up on Friday Night Lights right now, which is a really great show as well. So you know what? There's nothing to be ashamed of. Okay, good. Soaking in it like it was some sort of a, some sort of a buttery topping. And I have to say, I went and bought Six Feet Under at CD Game Exchange. Oh, yes. And a and 20 bucks, right? $20 for the most beautiful, it's, like it's one of the most beautiful packages I've package. ever seen. It's a great deluxe package, like hardcover, and it's just beautiful, and it has a booklet and like all kinds of stuff. Twenty up, twenty bucks. I know we're all over the uh, all over the map uh, so far in this segment, but I got to say this. Speaking of CD Game Exchange, I'm so glad you reminded me. So I went to CD Game Exchange yesterday. I got two things. I bought that Ramones documentary, End of the Century, for ten bucks, which is fantastic. It's a great movie, great documentary, ten dollars on DVD. And then, God help me. Make may God forgive me. I bought Norbit on DVD. It was like two dollars. <laughs> I hadn't even that was too much to pay. I took Norbit, which is that horrible Eddie Murphy film, where he plays. It's another one where he plays himself, and then he plays a fat woman, and then he plays an Asian man, and then he plays a white guy, and he plays a whatever. And it has like a 7% or something on Rotten Tomatoes, like the worst reviewed film of the last 10 years. Uh, and it was inexplicably nominated for an Academy Award, I think, for makeup or costuming or something. So there I am at CD Game Exchange. I have the Ramones thing. I'm looking over, like, because the, they, you know, they, they have it broken up by price. Like, there's the regular DVDs, then there's the used DVDs, then there's the really dirt cheap DVDs. So I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm looking for the dirt cheap DVDs, and I see Norbit for, I think it was like $2.50. <laughs> which was like $2.50 too much. I take it home, and I put it in. God help me, it's the worst thing I've ever seen. It's And by the way, I don't want anybody to think that it's somehow so good it's bad. It's not. It's so... It is the... It's... It is... Because there's sort of a bell curve where a movie is really good, and then some movies are bad, some movies are terrible, but then at a certain point they become good again. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. Norbit is... Absolutely as bad as a movie can be without starting to become good again. Like it's at the very bottom <laughs> of the trough. Like it is the last shade of bad before good begins again. It is a movie of staggering ineptitude. I mean, badly written, poorly acted, <laughs> shoddily directed. Would you say it's one produced. of the worst movies you've it's ever seen? It's one of the worst things I have ever seen. My wife came home as I was about half an hour into it. It's like, what are you watching? I said, oh, God, I bought Norbit for $2. And she said, oh, is it so bad it's good? And I, and I had to, like, dissuade her from watching it. I kept saying, no, it's awful. And she goes, no, 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 it sounds pretty funny. And I'm like, no, 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 it's not funny. It's not even bad enough to be interesting. It's just bereft of anything good. 
it's ju- it's almost usually they should take Norbit and teach some sort of a class based on Norbit about how not to make films. They could do again the Costanza reversal there, where you just take Norbit and you do everything the opposite. And I think <laughs> if you did, if you took Norbit and you made a movie where you did, like you made opposite choices with every single aspect of the filmmaking, you'd have Citizen Kane, you must, because it's like a case study in how to make a terrible film. And she wouldn't believe me, so she insisted on watching like 10 or 12 minutes of it, at which point she realized that it was unbelievably bad. So so when I wasn't, when I wasn't reading a book this weekend or watching quality television, I was watching Norbit. Um, don't even get me started on the guy at the library. I went to the library to, uh, to actually, because I'm... I've just been spending a lot of money on books lately, and books, God love them, they just become so expensive after a while, especially hardcovers. They're man. bulky. Well, Jesus, and $30 for a hardcover. That's why I couldn't buy that Dexter paperback the other day. I mean, I love Dexter and all, and I love Pablo. $15 for a paperback. There's just no way. Uh-uh. So I went to the library this weekend, and I you know, stacked up a bunch of stuff. So I'm at the library. I'm walking through, the, and then we'll get to these calls. I'm walking through the library, and I go by the card catalog or... Well, I just dated myself. Not the card catalog, but have you ever used the card the Dewey catalog? Decimal yes, system. I remember card catalog. They still use the Dewey Decimal System. They don't have the cards, though. But, they, you know, like the, uh... Why now I really have become a... The whatcha call it? The computers. As my grandma was churning <laughs> butter around the piazza. Um, but I'm walking through this sort of computer section, because there's two... at the. This is the library downtown. There are two different kinds of computers. There's the ones that are set up for Internet browsing, and then there's the ones that are just to search the library's catalog. And so you have to walk through the Internet computers to get to the, the catalog computers. And I'm walking through the Internet computers, and, of course, what do I walk by? Guys sitting there in huge, full-screen, high-resolution, watching pornography. <gasps> sitting there watching, watching porn right Ew. there at the library. And I swear to you, <laughs> he was watching pornography with just the most slack-jawed expression. You could, leaning forward, resting his chin on his left hand, Right hand on the mouse, making no attempt to obscure the pornography on the screen. Literally, mouth open, breathing through his mouth, like a lot of... Oh, my God. Watching porn. And it was that thing where... How do I phrase this? Like, it wasn't like I was going to get some thrill out of watching porn over the guy's shoulder. But it was like you had to go... I walked by, and then I did the double take of... And I literally, like, sort of swung back around and walked past him again because I wanted to make sure that I had seen what I thought I saw. <laughs> and, then, of course, on the way back, and you're making in your head alternate explanations for, well, maybe it's a medical film. Maybe he's maybe he's watching some kind of, you know, maybe he's watching some sort of a documentary about tattooing or whatever. Like, you're trying to come up with a context that would make sense with that. And I come around and know he's just watching lesbian porn. Right there. Right there. And the best part is he's at a computer... That like everybody has to face when they walk into the room. When you when you walk into that section of the library, everybody has to go by this guy's computer where he's watching full screen lesbian porn. Did like, he just seem deeply stupid? Was I, I don't know. I didn't really talk to him, but I mean, and not in like a little YouTube thing, like blown up to fill the whole screen. It was like like a foot by a foot. It was just it was fantastic. It really was gold. Um. All right, I don't have time to get to anything else because we're going to do some phone calls. And then I got to, oh, man, I got this whole thing about the vending machine, too, that I wrote down. Don't let me talk about that. Uh, let's see here. Uh, just do these calls. Hi, you're on there. Oh, and then I got a big announcement about the, uh, if you go to uh, 970.am, 
the brand new AM 970 website is now up. Uh, now uh, largely suck free. Uh, 970.am. Our uh, brand new website is up there. So congratulations and thanks to Bridget from upstairs, uh, and uh, who uh, put together has been working overtime. Has really been uh, burning the midnight oils, they say. So 970.am. Oh, that does look great. How great does that look? The new uh, AM 970 website, now up, 970.am. Oh, it's so much I... more simple, and everything's, like, right there. And it doesn't hurt your eyes to look at it? <laughs> it? You don't look at it and cringe and pull away? Oh, my, this seems very professional. It's no longer the Norbit of uh, CBS Radio website. On the air now. Yeah. Uh, don't forget the AM 970 live stream, the actual live stream, too, it's, coming it's soon. right underneath the logo. How convenient. Yeah. Uh, hi, hello, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hi, Rick. What's up? Uh... Sarah, I have a question about Lost for you really quick. <gasps> yes, yes. You, I, I'm sorry, I'm a day behind. Uh, I listened to the podcast. Um, he said that because uh, Jin is no longer with us, that, uh, that, that, that that runs up to the Oceanic Six, but I can't figure out who the sixth person is. Okay, so so far in the, in the flash forwards, they've shown uh, Aaron, Claire's baby, Hurley, Son, Jack, Kate, and Saeed. See, and that's what that's what I was curious about. Does Aaron count? That's yeah. That's kind of what everyone's curious about. They're like, because remember, um, at one point, Jack was saying how eight people were rescued from the island and two of them have since died. Right. So, so they don't know yet. But the thing is, if Kate's pretending that Aaron already existed before the island, she'd already had this kid. You know, it's like, are they saying that Aaron was, you know, the child of a deceased oceanic passenger? Maybe Claire is one of the eight that gets off the island. Well, has, has ABC actually said that all six have been revealed? Yeah, they said, um, by, oh. I think before they said, like, and you'll find out who the sixth person is on the oce- from the Oceanic Six. Oh, wow. Mm, okay. I don't, but I don't, you know, nothing's for sure on Lost, so who knows? And, uh, Rick, I have another quick question. Yeah. I just read, I read Youth in Revolt uh, yes, in like a day and a half this, uh, this last week instead of doing my finals. Good for you. Uh, are the uh, sequels no, any good? No, 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 okay. they're not. Don't read them. Okay. Uh, avoid the sequels with everything in you. <laughs> All right. No, they're terrible. Don't don't give into temptation like I did. Resist okay. the sequels. Yes. All right. Okay. Thank you, Welcome sir. Welcome back, Tim. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Is this Richie in stocks? That is. What did he do wrong? Uh, we're looking at, uh, I think that's a pirate day. We're looking at the brand new AM 970 website and the photo gallery. Oh, it's all in jets. Yeah, Ricky, R- Ricky, Richie in stocks. And I do. Th- I think that is for the pirate festival that, that happened last festival. year. Okay. Yeah. Uh, hello. Hi. You're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, Rick. What's up? A um, couple of things about Friday. Yes. Um, one, you may or may not have realized this, but you did your math wrong about... Uh, no. Really? I did math wrong? Yeah. And he's been mad about it all weekend. My whole world is falling apart around me. Okay. So you know how you were saying how Rich, Richie's oil's worth 600 <sighs> some odd million? Oh, yeah, Tim. You, didn't even, you weren't even here for this. Did you know... That Richie is an oil baron? Yeah, I know all about Richie. He owns real estate and oil property. You're the only one that doesn't own anything in here. I don't know. Sarah doesn't own anything. All right. All right, there are two people. So. <laughs> do, you and, do you and Richie have secret uh, landowner meetings, like secret grown-up meetings that Sarah and I aren't invited we, we to? Have, we've had them in the kitchen before. Is Richie the new Scotty in almost Richie every way? Richie the new Scotty. You sit but, and discuss but real Richie, estate. Richie with owns, other. actually, uh, more valuable things than... Scotty, as we discovered, he, he does owns. Not have a wife and children. He is single and he's loaded with money. He, ladies, ladies. Richie owns property. We found this out on Friday. Richie owns property in Montana, which is estimated to hold 57 million barrels of oil. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with All that. All right, thanks, sir. 
<laughs> I don't even I think, I got okay, it, I think I you didn't even go anywhere. I noticed that speechless. your math was wrong, too. Like, you were... Well, because we were trying to calculate how many barrels of oil times however much it was worth on the current market. Yeah. It's a lot. I mean, be happy with that, friend. I mean, it, 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 once we got up to Richie being worth something like $9 million, does it really matter if I've carried a one correctly? Exactly. He's still worth more than all of us. Do we have to break? Yes. Well, there, there are pictures on the new website I haven't seen in a long time. No, no, no. Go to 9... That's what I'm looking through right now. 970.am. Oh, uh, I can't stop looking. Uh, we have to break. Final note, at 970.am, you'll see the brand new website. Don't forget, coming April 1st, uh, the absolutely the real live real time stream will launch, but you get it a week earlier if you're a glorious bastard. So stay there. Back after this with Lisa. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Thank you for coming by, making it part of your listening day. It is 11:30. What, six? 35? 36. We're almost on time. Fantastic. It's 503-733-2970. All right. Uh, here's what's coming up. We have uh, Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth later on. Uh, the top five, Peter Carlin uh, from the Oregonian. This, however, from the Hill is CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins. Why, hello, and how are you today on this Monday? Well, hello to you this Monday on St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, you, uh... Hold on, I've lost my... Uh... No, I'm holding it in my hand. All right. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's a little... I'm feeling a little, uh, uh, not not weird today, but it's... One of those days where uh, things are just kind of getting back into place because uh, Tim Riley, as our news director, was here last week until Wednesday. Then he was gone, and we had somebody filling in for Thursday and Friday. And as Sarah will tell you, I'm very OCD about these things. And whenever anything changes or alters or is augmented or shifted in any way, it sort of rattles me for a while, and it takes me a while to sort of get back in the groove. So then we had two days of a replacement during which I was sort of struggling to find my equilibrium. Now Tim is back, so I'm once again having to settle internally. So, all right. Uh, how was your weekend? Satisfying, wonderful, exciting, thrilling? It, it was. It was great. I would say satisfying, delightful. I, I actually uh, double booked on Saturday, but then I ended up going to both places twice, like doing this ridiculous. Oh, you guys are still over there. All right, well I'll come back. Oh, oh wait, you guys are still over there. Well, All right, well I'll come back there. The price one pays for being a social butterfly, Lisa. I'm not sure that's accurate, but it was. <laughs> that's that's how, what what it was like on Saturday. Um, all right, so uh, they're still calling this. Okay, first of all, it says the primary scramble continues. Uh, scramble, yes. Have I have I already made the joke about how that ought to be something that's served at a Tampa Denny's? <laughs> no, not not in my presence. Okay, but, uh, it, I suspect perhaps at least once. Okay, you really, honestly, I'm telling you right now, you what? If you, there's like an IHOP or something down there, you guys ought to be pushing them to serve something called a primary scramble. Well, you know, CNN is going to set up the CNN Cafe at both conventions. Is that true, really? It's really true. So I, I, I'm getting in touch with our special events people. Okay. The Prim Prim Scramble. Primary Scramble. What else? There's got to be at least one other thing. The Primary Scramble and the... Something involving the word flip, the pancake, the uh, the primary yeah. flip as well. The uh, no, no, I got nothing. No, my, uh, my normally reliable wit has suddenly uh, become absent. All right. Uh, so in terms of the primary... I don't even know where to begin. It's just such a huge tangled ball of yarn still at this point. So where? Right, okay, so we're gonna we'll try and untangle it. Basically, Michigan doing well. They're still on track for June third. It hasn't all been approved and sealed, but uh, we may get more on that today. It looks like June third do over. Florida, meanwhile, just uh, continues to devolve into more mush. But the latest deal from Florida, uh, Florida's Democratic Senator Bill Nelson is now trying to get, uh, now sort of seems to be conceding that a do-over for them is looking less and less likely. 
he actually now is asking the campaigns, what do you think about letting the results from that first primary stand but making them count just half as much? So essentially, one way of doing that would be to, it's what the Republican Party did to Florida, cut the number of delegates they have at the convention in half. But one of the problems is these delegates have already been named. Uh, so there, there are actual real people who would go to the convention. And so to accommodate that, Bill Nelson is now saying, well, give each of them a half vote instead of a full vote. You know, I, I hate to sound cynical in all this, but do you suppose that this is maybe part of the reason why people don't vote anymore? <laughs> I mean, really, honestly, especially in that uh, state. Where how many times do you suppose people have to go to the polls and then not have their vote count for anything before they decide that the day would be better served by just watching Wheel of Fortune? Well, you know, 2000 was great for getting out the votes because everyone could say, just 500 votes, people, just you and uh, everyone uh -huh. you knew in high school. Right. And, you, and then so people, you know, said, all right, I'm going to get out and vote. But in this year, I think the... Ameri you know, if Americans have an out, if Americans can say, well, this probably isn't going to count, it, a lot of them are not going to go vote. You know, if, if Florida, in Florida, that was exactly the case. I mean, they, they still did have record turnout, but I, I am sure that many people woke up that, that morning and said, well. It's sort of like getting up and, you know, it's like getting up and leaving the house and fighting traffic to go watch an exhibition game. You know what I mean? <laughs> really, there's really only so much of a point to that. Uh, I have a, somebody actually has a question for you, and this is uh, it's via email. But this is actually this is from a couple days back. It's from the it's from after the Mississippi primary, and it, okay. but it's still an interesting question. He says, uh, he says, what the hell was CNN doing when they called the state for Obama last night? Their predictions were accurate, but calling a state with only three percent reporting and Clinton winning that three percent by eight percent serves as fodder for people whining that Obama is treated with favoritism by the media. Uh -huh. So, and, and not that you should be called to account for everything that every news network does, but it is sort of interesting, the math, how that works, that they, yeah. I continue to be puzzled by how they can possibly make those predictions when there's really just a pittance of the vote in, in any, in any given state. Yeah, that, that one's actually not too hard to answer. I, I have a lot of sympathy for people that are frustrated with that, but what's going on at CNN is they're not, when they make that call, the results that are coming in, and this is going to sound like something people will make fun of me for, but, but this is true. This is what's going on. The results, those early results, are not necessarily uh, the most important thing that they base their decisions on. What they look at first, uh, because the first things that they get in are the exit polling numbers. And in a case like Mississippi, this, this doesn't happen too often, but it has happened several times this campaign that the exit polling numbers will just be a blowout. And you and you could see, we saw in those exit polling numbers, we get them, I don't know, probably someone at CNN gets them earlier than I do, but I first see them, let's say a poll closes at 7 o'clock, I'll first see them at 5 o'clock. And we look at, and I looked at those Mississippi numbers at 5 o'clock, and you saw both men and women, Barack Obama was leading by 30 points in that exit polling. Now, it still is a survey, and it still is not the final result. But uh, essentially what CNN is doing there is putting its faith, and a lot of, you know, and putting a very, uh, uh, a pretty, I don't want to call it a gamble, but, but really relying on the idea that scientific sampling works. And, and they'll look at something and say, all right, if there's a 30-point gap uh, among men and, like, let's say a 20-point gap among women or something like that, uh, then statistically it's almost impossible that, that this could be so that this sampling could be so wrong that Hillary Clinton will win. It's practically impossible. 
then to add to that, the results will start coming in, and they'll watch that. And, you know, essentially they called it for Obama because of those exit polling numbers. See, this is why you work at CNN and I'm a glorified circus clown, <laughs> you know, uh, because you understand things. This is like when they talk about, well, this sample has a plus or minus uh, error of 3%. Right, 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 exactly. And I never understand how they arrive at that number either. Run the chi-squared test. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let's see. That's the deal with that. I mean, it, it can be questionable, and that's why we you will know – if it looks like someone's winning by a lot, the first results come in, someone's ahead by 10 points, and we're not calling it, that means the exit polling is tight. Is inconclusive, as they say. Yeah, and they'll take all of that into account, uh, and they'll usually be very careful. They waited to call Mississippi, I think, for like 20 minutes. Everyone was very surprised they didn't call it right away because of the exit polls, but that, that's why. Uh, okay, I have two more uh, small questions before we wrap this Great. up. One, uh, there were a bunch of headlines this weekend. Uh, Drudge was sort of giving a lot of play to the superdelegate aspect yes. and how the superdelegates are sort of racked with tension and fear uh, <laughs> about about with every single day that goes forward, the superdelegates are just more and more unnerved by all of this. And is that just because they don't want to risk the wrath of like everybody uh, by having to by having to make a decision which will certainly alienate almost half the party? Yeah, I think so. And there's, I mean, there's no uh, way to to gauge this one. You know, there's no way that politicians really like to get inside information and kind of be ahead of the curve. And, you know, they, they'll make these decisions knowing that chances are Americans pulled this way or pulled that way. But this one is so tight that they know there's a chance that Hillary Clinton could win. And they don't want to go. They definitely don't want to be on the losing side of that. <laughs> that is a problem. It's like making it. It's like really. It's like being on the wrong side of Richard Nixon in 1971. They, they don't, you know. And then on the other hand, there's also, of course, a very good chance that Barack Obama would win. And and so they neither do they want to be uh, in the Clinton campaign, uh, sort of pushing this idea of oh, the Democratic officials should, should decide, not the average people. So I think that that's it's a very difficult it's a difficult decision I think on the face of who the two candidates are but it's much more difficult politically and what it means for you as a congressman or senator. Uh, and finally, speaking of Barack Obama, I know that there's been a little discussion recently about how in some of these primaries it, uh, Republicans have actually gone to vote for Hillary Clinton uh, because they want her on the ticket come November. Blah da da blah da da blah. Has there been any sort of uh, beyond the actual primary voting? Has there been any sort of a discussion or investigation into uh, to what extent Republicans, or, or at least those sympathetic to the Republican cause, conservatives of whatever stripe, are behind the scenes working to sink Obama or to, to prop up Hillary Clinton uh, in general? Just because I saw a great quote the other day. It was this great sort of, is that movie The Outsiders? Or am I thinking of the Beat It video where the two guys are lashed together at the wrist and they each have a knife? Oh wow! I don't know. I think it's the video for "Beat It," I'm where they're sure having it. the knife fight in the street. Outsiders, yeah. Yeah, and it's like they, they, each guy has a knife, but then they are tied together with a leather uh, thong at the wrist, uh, and so you know, they, so they are sort of enemies, but at the same time, they're sort of locked together. Not unlike uh, Dennis Quaid and Lou Gossett Jr. in the movie "Enemy Mind." Excellent. And, and so, but somebody said that the only thing that can that can unite the Republicans this fall is a Hillary Clinton candidacy. But they also said the only thing that can make Hillary a viable candidate is the Republicans. Well, and I think the, the thing we know for sure is Rush Limbaugh on his radio show has said, please vote for Hillary Clinton. He, he has compiled his listeners to do that. So we, we know that that's what he wants and perhaps people who uh, subscribe to you know his point of view, that, that they have been going out there and doing that. The only numbers I know for sure is in that Mississippi primary. When you look at the, we ask people, are you a Republican, Democrat, Independent? Uh, Barack Obama in Mississippi won Democrats 67 to 30. And this is, again, exit polling. Um, but Republicans, 
Hillary Clinton won 75 to 25 percent of the Republicans in that poll. Now, those were small numbers relatively, so it's hard to completely apply that to everyone. But it does look like in Mississippi there were Republicans going out to vote for Hillary Clinton. Uh, now, did they really believe in Hillary Clinton, or was this sort of a conservative? I don't. In Mississippi, it feels like a Republican, a Mississippi Republican. Um, is less likely to be more toward the middle and more likely to be toward the right. But I don't know. Who knows? You know, the, the interesting thing is that right now we've had two polls come out in the last weekend, and you and I are both kind of like poll schmoles, but there is an interesting thing happening where John McCain is now beating both Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama in national polls. Mm. And, and and I think that what's happened is they, we've, they've, people have finally gotten to the point where they're tired of this whole, like, Clinton-Obama thing. Right. And, and it's showing up in the polls, and, and, and McCain can just go to Iraq and talk about what he sees as success there, and that he really thinks we need to keep up, keep it up. And and people people are responding to him being more positive and not having to fight anyone. Well, and the, the Democrats have got to be really careful that they don't uh, that uh, that either Hillary does not wound Obama or vice versa sufficiently right. enough to sink them in November. Right, and they and that is right where they're hover, they're hovering right they're right about to. You know, cut each other's arms off. You know, the Resco stuff is very serious, and it could be. And and it, with the, of course, the real estate guy in in Chicago, that's a friend of Obama's, that is now un, under trial. Um, now Obama isn't accused of any wrongdoing, and so far there's been nothing to uh, imply that that he made any kind of swaps. But it is it is a very it's a it's a problem for any political candidate when you're associated with someone currently on trial. And the Clinton campaign are the ones that have really been pounding that away. So you could say Obama needs to deal with it, so it's good that he's dealing with it now. Or you could say the Clinton campaign is, is really kind of throwing a bowling ball into his gut. Oh. Way. Wow. It's, very, it's very tough. And now you know the reports out of the folks who follow Obama who are on the trail with him are that his staff is really seriously thinking about um, stepping up uh, the pushback against the Clintons. Now they'll say pushback. The Clintons will say attack. Negative campaigning. Yeah, right. you know it's it's really and it, what does that mean for the Obama campaign? I don't know. I know what it means for the Clinton campaign, and it's tough stuff. But I don't know exactly what that means when the Obama campaign says it. We'll have to see. Okay, let me ask you right now. Final question: As a political observer, just as a reporter, if you could be embedded in one campaign right now, McCain, Clinton, or Obama, where would you be? Uh, not McCain, because there's just not enough. Go Although McCain's in Iraq, and that would be cool. Um, I would, I would have to say. You could be in the war room. If I'd be in the war, I would have to say Obama because I really, I want to know I, their their campaign really does feel like it's being operated in a different way, and I want to. Right now is the moment when they're going to make some great decisions, or they could blow it, you know. And and I feel like I feel like the Clinton campaign now is starting to hit its rhythm, and I, I feel like I know what they're doing. But the Obama campaign. They've got some tough decisions to make in the next couple of weeks. That's where I'd like to be. It's all very exciting. All right. Uh, all right. Are you on tomorrow? I'll be here. All right. Enjoy the rest of your day. We will talk to you, you soon. You guys, too. Lisa Desjardins, ladies and gentlemen. Fantastic. Wonderful. Excellent. Genius. Uh, okay. Let's see. So I talked about the guy watching library porn. Yes? Yes. Uh, and you wonder how often, by the way, the librarians have to deal with that. Uh, some guy, like, you know, mom checks his browsing history, so he has to come in and watch his hot lesbian action, you know, at the library. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, some other things that are less interesting. All right, we should probably break here so we don't get... Oh, do I have calls? Yeah, I guess we do. Should we take a couple calls? You know what someone else has done to my computer? Let's not make this a bitch fest, but it's so bright. They turn, they cranked up the brightness on the uh -huh. screen, so it's like hurting my eyes. Well, okay. 
I wonder sometimes, don't you wonder if things in the studio just start, if, if it's not really people, if the studio itself is possessed somehow. do you think somehow. the studio's alive? But yeah, I really do. This, this studio is like one of those uh, Cylon Raider things. It's just like a sentient being. By the way, I adjusted the processing switch, uh, the, uh, the present switch on the back of my microphone, which does seem to have solved my problem. Oh, least. good. Uh, all right. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Sir or Madam is the case, maybe. Good day, sir. Hello. Hi. Um... You talked about bounce on Friday. Uh, yeah, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow Ben Affleck. Yeah, um, uh, I have to disagree with you. Hmm. One of the main reasons why is because you presented the facts incorrectly. Um, you hold on. This sounds really exciting. Let me pull up a chair. <sighs> well, okay. So here's what's going to help this call. Speak more slowly. All right. So Ben Affleck knew that Gwyneth Paltrow was the widow. Yeah. Now, he was during a 12-step program. He right. was trying to ask her forgiveness, never got around to it, fell in love. Right, but she didn't know. No, no, no. Right. Exactly. No, and the reveal was from a videotape, and he, uh, she had it cut uh, her after her watching it. Right. And then he, and then the re- you know our reveal is him seeing the videotape uh-huh. um, moments later. And uh, yes. then he knows she knows, and he tries to apologize and everything. And uh, mm-hmm. anyways, no, and and he died because he um, uh, he being. <laughs> Let me. Can I just cut in for a second? By the way, sir? they have a copy of Bounce for two fifty at CD Game Exchange. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> if you'd like to. But here's here's my question, sir. Well, yes. I, I think. As I presented Bounce, which again, let's be very clear that I sort of watched it with half of my brain on HBO. Yes. Um is it, I guess my thing, and I, by the way, you and I are now spending more time talking about Bounce than anybody at the studio that ever made it. Uh, yes. So, it, it, the deal with Bounce, though, is is that you don't get to see the moment when she discovers all, right? They cut right to after she's found out. Yeah. That was, that. see, that. No, that, that's what I was saying. It's not that he didn't know. It's that you don't get to see the reveal when she discovers yeah. And to me, that's like the unforgivable sin of the movie. That the whole thing is built up to when will she find out, when will she find out, when will she find out, what will happen when she finds out, and then you don't get to see it. Yeah. That was yeah, my okay. complaint about the film. It's the videotape, and then yes. she's crying or whatever in the yes. bedroom. Yes, as women do. Yes. Yes. All right. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Bye. There you go. Ugh. All right. Uh, hi, Tim. Are you preparing news for us? I am. I have several stacks here. Fantastic. I think I should have saved that call till 2.59. Seriously. Next, <laughs> I try to make that the final call of the day, sir. All right, let's break now, shall we? Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. Don't go anywhere. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Hi, uh, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Sir, madam, is the case maybe. Hello. Hi there, kids. How you doing? Hello, hi. How you doing? All right. Um, How can I help you, sir? Well, uh, I know I've called about three times within a month, and it's always been about the same thing, and I feel like I'm beating a dead horse. But... So, whatever you do, make sure you talk about exactly the same thing right now. Okay, then. Um, cornhole. I just got... Oh, this, this is Joel. Yes, it is, is sir. Uh, How are you doing? Hi, Joel. Does it bother you that you're always calling about something called cornhole? 
A little bit. You know, if you die today, this is going to be how you're remembered. Oh, yeah, the cornhole guy. <laughs> All right. Yes, go ahead, sir. Exactly. So I was checking my, uh, I feel like a 14-year-old saying this, I was checking my MySpace this morning. Of course you were. <laughs> and I got a friend request from a video game that has some long, drawn-out name that I don't exactly remember. But the name of the video game itself was Bags, and it is <laughs> a cornhole video game. Sort of an interactive, like an on, like a flash cornhole game. You know, it's like a stand-up arcade game. Really? Yeah. Okay, please, uh, if, you, if there's a link or something, you've got to send that to me. I will do that as All soon right. as I get back. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right, at the Ministry of Truth, ladies and gentlemen, this is Tim Riley. Time for the Rick Emerson Noon News Hour from AM 970 Solid State Radio. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Well, so imagine you're a trick driver, you're trick first in the flames, and you're second side. That's what happened this morning. To a semi-driver bearing off the I-205, hitting a tree, the tree slams into the truck, the driver is seriously injured, and uh, he couldn't get out. But a motorist pulls over, rushes to his aid, pulling the 43-year-old man out of the burning cab. We don't know his name yet, but he has second and third degree burns. He was treated at the scene, then taken to the hospital. Uh, meanwhile, police were forced to close down one northbound lane of I-205 near Stamford Road during the cleanup. Uh, the truck was hauling bread and baking goods. So, uh, the lucky for that good Samaritan who pulled so the So, is it now, was he wedged into the, the truck somehow, or was he just knocked unconscious? He may have been unconscious. Jesus. That, yeah, that, it, it hit a tree. That's like a hundred different layers of bad. And, uh, luckily, somebody took it upon themselves to get the guy out, so we don't know who the good Samaritan is. Whenever but... you read a story like that about a good Samaritan who leaps into the burning car and pulls the guy out, do you ever feel a little twinge of guilt because you know that you wouldn't do it? And I'm speaking for me. There's, just, I, I know that I wouldn't do that. I mean, seriously. I mean, I'm not... I think I would just make matters worse. <laughs> would you stand around with your reporter friends and look? I mean, I can bust immediately. <laughs> Tim is highly flammable. <laughs> the, uh, I mean, if I were to drive it, well, look at that. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a burning orphanage with dozens of children inside. I mean, I think I might look around for a phone for a while. But I mean, really, as far as rushing into a, a big, I'm not going to pretend to be more. Uh, more charitable than I am, I, I don't think I'd do that. And so, but then I read a story like this, and I sort of feel bad about my own horrible nature. Not for very long, but I mean for a little while anyway. Well, I'm glad guys like that are around. Yeah. All right. It could have been a woman for all we know. That's it. That's true. It was just a, a concerned party who did that. Excellent. Well done, concerned party. The only guy I ever know, uh, ever knew that did something like that, like tried to help somebody at the side of the road was hit and killed by a car. So that was sort of an object lesson to me. Mm -hmm. uh, my friend uh, said this a long time ago. My friend Tom did that. Uh, there was a guy... Having some trouble at the side of the road, like 2 a.m., uh, and so Tom was like, hey, I'll, I'll pull up and help you. So he pulls his car to the shoulder of the road, uh, gets out to help the guy, and as he is helping the guy with his car, he was sort of standing by the uh, the driver's side, sort of on the shoulder, but sort of next to the road. Like a truck came along and pasted him, killed him uh, instantly. So that happened many years ago, and the lesson I learned from that is don't help. So, And that lesson has kept me in good stead. Here's Tim Riley. So I'm driving home from the airport last night uh, through downtown, getting ready to go to the western suburbs. So there's this house in flames and uh, sirens of police cars everywhere. This took place at Southwest Carruthers Street, not too far from us. Uh, this is a big apartment building. It was vacant, full of transients, of course. Uh, it was an eight-unit building, and it has been unoccupied for several months. So we know all the transients are in there, probably lighting candles to keep warm, and they always burn every time. So if you're a transient, if you light candles inside, you're going to burn the house down. Are you speaking out of the many transients who are listening to us? Yes. All right. I don't want to read this story because it involves a puppy. 
Okay. I'm passing over it. And a breed of dog we both own. We all own as a matter of fact. All right. Well, let's skip it. You can go look it up yourself somewhere. Uh, a woman born out of wedlock to a direct descendant of the Jello family has been denied her inheritance. Uh, New York's highest court has ruled that Elizabeth McNabb of Longview cannot share the multi-million dollar estate of her late mother, Barbara Woodward Peel. Uh, Peel's grandfather, Orator Francis Woodward, brought uh, the Jello trademark in 1899 from the inventor Pearl Bixie Weight. And within a decade, turned it into a multi-million dollar jello business. Uh, this was born a 20th century dessert, a wobbly standby at potlucks and cafeterias and summer camps. And uh, apparently, well, this woman doesn't get a dime, even though she was the, well, the child born out of wedlock to somebody. So, what can you do? Is this one of those things where... She could have had $12 million. She could have had $12 million, but is this... Is it, and I don't pretend to know anything about this family, but is this one of the thing, things where... Where the mom, uh, whoever it is, the woman that's in charge of this, like resents her because she was some, because she was born with, I don't know, under uh, disreputable circumstances. Yes. Maybe uh, during some sort of a dalliance. Born in the back room. <laughs> <laughs> like on, like on Mad Men, uh, that where the mom hates him because it's like because because he was born from some hooker that the dad impregnated or whatever. Mm -hmm. So all right, you know, Jello's a weird thing. Jello's one of those things that. It's made out of everything left over. It's well, it's all hooves and sugar. You're told it's delicious. And then, but that's it. But see, that's exactly what I was going to say. This is sort of like the other day when we were talking about circus peanuts. And Jello isn't quite as bad, but Jello is one of those things that, like, do you know anybody who really loves Jello? I mean, you know people that'll eat it. I guess largely children or people who go to church, like people who go to potlucks. But I mean, do you anybody? You know what I need today? I need to go home and have me a big plate of Jello. That's going to hit the spot. No, because it looks familiar. Uh, uh, if you're given a choice of several things, you know Jello's Jello. Well, Jello's reliable. Yeah. I will say that. But I. But here's the thing. In my estimation, Jello is a thing that is almost always consumed uh, when someone else serves it to you. Mm -hmm. You. No one proactively makes Jello for themselves. For example, like Sarah will go home. Sarah will be like, I gotta go home and make some Easy Mac or whatever. Or I'll go home like, I gotta go home and make myself a, you know, whatever. Like, uh, you know, like Laura makes this tortilla, this like chicken tortilla soup, which is really gonna be like, hey, you gotta make that tortilla soup. No one works all day and says, when I get home, first thing I have to do is make myself a batch of Jello. It's a thing that is, it's like a tertiary food. So the of, only time I eat Jello is for Jello shots. Well, yeah. See, that, that's okay. That's the that's other thing. where the Jello market is. I wonder exactly how much Jello is purchased every year simply to be consumed with alcohol. I would bet it's a lot. I would wager if you were to look at some sort of some sort of a pie chart showing Jello consumption, I'm guessing 20% is with alcohol. Probably 45% is to Utah, uh, and I would say probably. 35% is to other church functions or, or activities. Or to hospitals. Hospitals. Or to hospitals. Yeah. That's true. People with no teeth or, you know, no throat muscles. Well, if you're lying down and eating, you can't choke. I suppose that. And that's, I never thought about that. I yeah. bet you can't. I wonder if you could choke on jello. No, you can't choke on jello. That's why it's served. Interesting. The nurse can leave the patient alone, eat your jello. Hey, am I. Come uh, back and empty the bedpan an hour later. She's making her rounds. Um, if you eat jello, really, is there anything in the bedpan? Well, it depends on what else. Isn't it basically like Kool Aid? It's sort of jiggly Kool Aid. Well, then they don't have to make the rounds of the bedpan. I think they? that's an emptying the bag, not the bedpan kind of a thing. Let's not talk about that anymore. No, let's not. Also, am I uh, hallucinating this in my head, or was there once a bit where a guy dove into a swimming pool full of jello? That sounds, that sounds like, like a, a Steve Allen thing. See, but it does, or maybe a Letterman thing. Yeah. But I'm wondering if that's a thing that actually happened, or if I've sort of made that up in my head because it seems like a thing he ought to have done. I think he did. 
If you dove and, into it, and other people have copied it. No, but if you dove into a thing full of Jello, wouldn't you suffocate like a swimming pool full of Jello? Doesn't that seem like a thing that? It that, does. It seems like it would just go in like your mouth and your nose. Or you would just pack you full of Jello. Yeah, like if you dove into a swimming pool full of Jello, wouldn't you be immediately encased like one of those insects in amber in Jurassic Park? Just, we, should, we should do it at a listener party. All right, Richie. All right, here's Tim Riley. Isn't that a great idea? It That's is a, a fantastic, fantastic idea. idea. <laughs> Well, uh, some angry listener uh, drove through the lobby of KXL uh, Friday. And apparently, uh, let's see, they think it might have been intentional. Apparently, somebody was upset with the morning show on that FM rock station that they have in there. What FM rock station? Uh, apparently, it's an FM rock station for now. Uh, about uh, four years ago. You're a bad man, Tim Riley. I'm just stating the truth. As long as it's not us. About uh, four years ago, they started getting emails about how somebody didn't like the morning show on that FM rap station. And every six months, they got some death threats. They got one last Wednesday. And uh, apparently, they were talking about this guy. They knew this guy. They were talking about... Uh, he was talking about throwing babies in hot oil. Or who we, I don't understand well, anything. He was from Vancouver. Who are we talking about? The person who drove through the lobby at KX. I thought it was a woman. Maybe it was a woman. So the woman was talking about throwing babies in hot oil? It says he was he, talking about. The driver? Yes. How? It, let's back up. When, somebody on the morning show, I think, was talking about throwing babies in hot oil, and the driver was upset. Oh, I see. The yes. driver wasn't talking about throwing babies in hot oil. Right. So somebody on the zany morning show was talking about that. Because yeah. it's lots comedy. Of lots, lots of laughs. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's, uh, I don't have my clown horn sound effect, but... Uh, and then the the driver took offense to this and decided to drive through the, the front of the lobby. Mm -hmm. Genius. I uh, and then they got the uh, the license plate number. Attention, those of you who live in the Coob, it's six eight three R Y U. I think Lars was trying to spin this uh, on on the news or something on Friday as like you know because he's so edgy and you know because he's, he's you know it's be, all about me. Yeah. Well, maybe it wasn't about him at all. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Um, I it, we heard the early reports because this happened during Friday's show when Timmy Ryan was like, "Hey, somebody drove through the KXL lobby." By the way, did you get those photos of it I sent you? Yes. Uh, we have a friend there who uh, gave us some photos mm -hmm. uh, of the lobby all smashed up and demolished. Uh, and it would really—I mean, I'm not saying it's a good thing, but it really, they were pretty, pretty dramatic photos. They were pretty cool uh, in terms of just like seeing the destruction and the whatever. Um, but I, I know they were on Bancroft. Um, is that the wrong address? No, they're. Uh, no, they're right. Up, they're right up the street from our old place. Yeah, they're, they're sort of, but they're across the highway, aren't they? Maybe I don't know how to get there. You know, they're sort of like in John's Landing, sort of like if you know where Clyde lives, it's sort of that general area, you know. Um, but, um, but I think Lars got himself in front of a camera, as he always does. Uh, Lars wedged himself in, in front of a camera. In front of, well, this is all about me, because people can't handle the truth from the Lars Larson show. So I think the morning show was probably pissed, though, that they weren't there to capitalize on it. And, of course, you know, like, it, as he always does, whenever there was a news vacuum, Lars managed to insert himself into it. Oh, by the way, did I ever play, did I play you those Lars, uh, promos? No. Somebody sent these to me. Um... So these are, let's see, these are uh, some, I guess these are the promotional spots or whatever that Lars, or that they run, I guess, that somebody, uh, they play to promote Lars's show. Uh, and they've got the weirdest opening on them. You know, it's one of the guys with the stereotypical, like, deep radio voice. But it, uh, it makes Lars sound kind of creepy, like a thing you wouldn't want to listen to. Let me see here. Uh, Lars, let's see, uh... Let me see if I can get this to play here. So this is, uh, I don't know what this one's about. This is uh, just some some promo about some crap. 
Uh, Lars is, let's see if it's got the opening on it. Lars. <laughs> when the Democrats try to dictate the state. I'm going to molest you. I'm going to put babies in oil. <laughs> and then I think they do it again at the end. Lars. When the Democrats try to dictate to the states when and you where... You can tell, by the way, you can tell it's lame because there's Steely Dan in the background. ...where those elections can be had. I That's what the kids love these days. Well, they tried to do that with both Florida and with Michigan and said, don't you dare hold your election at a time we tell you not to because if you do, we won't seat your delegate. Okay, fine. That was the rule you laid down. You I think the, I think the guy does it again like at the end. Over. We'd like to have another vote, and we don't want to pay the bill. We'd like the states of Florida and Michigan to pay the bill. Give me a break. That's crazy. Lars Larson. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me nervous. <laughs> it make you feel awkward. Like, he will eat you. <laughs> he kind of sounds, the, whoever the voice guy is, he kind of sounds like that guy in Mortal Kombat. That, Fatality. That's crazy. Lars Larson. <laughs> it actually makes me uh, sort of... Uh, it makes me feel sort of itchy in a weird yeah, way. Yeah, I don't like that. Yeah, the guy sent me several of them, but I uh, I think that's the only one we'll play. They're all... Then there's a really... There's a terrible one, too, where he... Because uh, you, know you know what the real mark of comedy is in 2008? Is doing yet another variation on that thing where you list off a bunch of... Like the... Whatever, the, the Visa or the MasterCard thing, where you list a bunch of prices, and at the end you go, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, priceless, which was a thing that was already old like five years ago. Um, let's see. I think I do have one. Hold on. Just the, uh... Lars. <laughs> oh, it makes me itchy. Which advertises itself. Washington, D.C. hotel room, $450. High-priced hooker, $1,000. Package of condoms from the CBS store down the block, that would be 99 cents. Seeing Elliot Spitzer hoist by his own petard, the gigantic crusader against corruption in public officials caught soliciting a hooker. Now that, that is truly priceless. Wow. Lars, Lars. <laughs> <laughs> Babality. <laughs> I, it makes my skin crawl. <laughs> and the thing is, I can't figure out if it's it the voice. Itch. <laughs> uh, I can't figure out if it's the voice or if it's the fact that he's saying Lars Larson or if it's some combination of the two. And I'm suspecting it's the confluence of the two. Here's Tim Riley. Well, a meat thief is no match for an angry restaurant owner swinging his ham. This happened in Gloucester, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. uh, Joe Scholler heard a noise at Scholler's place in Gloucester when he saw a man sneak off with his arms full of meat. He apparently stole it from the restaurant freezer. Well, Scholler says when he caught up with the thief and started taking back his meat, the man raised a five-pound log of frozen Italian meat over his head as if it were a weapon. The restaurant owner, who himself was brandishing a frozen ham in his hand, slammed it into the man's face, leaving a big gash. The uh, stunned meat thief dropped his loot and took off. Police say they have not yet found the salami swiper responsible for Wednesday's confrontation. So far we have hands full of meat, salami swiper, and leaving a big gash. Mm -hmm. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson program. Hello. Hey, what's going on, brother? Hello. Hey, what's up? Full-time listener. Thank you, sir. Oh, um, <clears throat> I was digging through my mom's stuff. Uh, who passed away a few years ago. And, um, oh, that's okay, don't be. Um, okay. Ended up coming across a number 170 October 1974 Mad Magazine, and the first thing that popped in my head was your goofy self. Exactly. Uh, excellent. What's on the cover? Uh, Exorcist Barf Bag. Oh, yeah, it's uh, and it's it's the paper bag, and then there's Alfred E. Newman, but he's got the devil's face. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's 
funny that you remember that, I guess. Yes, because um, I'm late. Do you have that one already? Um, well, the fact that I can conjure up the cover from memory. First of all, what year is that? Uh, 74. God damn. Let's all reflect for a moment on how phenomenally useless all of my knowledge is. This is what Sarah was talking about the other day. How... Sarah was looking up, like, other jobs or something on Craigslist for some friend of hers, and it was like, it was some sort of like, was it, you were looking up something or other, like a job, or you were, somebody was getting a job or whatever, but you were... No, I'm looking, I'm looking for a, a second part-time job. But you were re reflecting on how you have no skills that can be used anywhere nothing, but here. Nothing. Like, <laughs> this is all... Well, I can surf on the internet and, like, <laughs> you know, talk about celebrity gossip, and that's about it. Then, then you go to one of these ten places, and you're sitting down with this woman, and it's the worst five minutes <laughs> of your life. And you know she already hates you. Yeah. She has to finish the interview, but she was done with you after you opened your mouth. And because you have no skills uh, that are applicable anywhere but here. Here. So the, you've just seen one of those, by the way, where he mentioned a Mad Magazine from 34 years ago, <laughs> and with sight unseen, I described the cover to him: <laughs> a Mad Magazine from a month 34 years ago. It is The Exorcist, though. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, I don't think I have that actually. It, I've, everybody's heard the long, sad story of my Mad Magazine collection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I have them all on CD-ROM at this point, but not physically. No. Well, I don't know. I'm not working today, and I got nothing better to do. So you uh, sound really yeah. into this whole thing, by the way. Um, no, I, I you, actually just woke up because I didn't work today. Are you uh, are you seeking a good home for this Mad Magazine? Yeah, in theory. Well, you know I what? Mean, you uh, already got my kiss toy and my stun gun, so I mean. Well, I'll tell you what. If you if you are offering to uh, to drop it off, uh, Rick Emerson would be happy to give that to give it a, give it a new place to live. Yes. Okay, fantastic. All right, thank you, sir. All right, have a good one. There you go. Thanks. All right. Lars. Here's Tim Riley. Well, a bomb squad in Fort Wayne, Indiana, spent several hours dealing with a suspicious package that turned out to be a turnip. Yeah. Employees of the law firm called police after they opened the package and found a blue gift bag inside. Police summoned bomb squad officers who rolled out a robot named Bob. Bob carried the turnip into the parking lot and exploded it. It turned out to be a turnip that was just exploded. So they, so they, they don't know who left it? No. It's just put there by persons unknown. And a robot named Bob. Oh, speaking of uh, Bob, the shuttle driver we were talking about, I've gotten other emails saying others have ridden with Bob. Really? At the airport. I don't think <laughs> I, maybe I haven't. Does he only work at night? You know, I come back late at night sometimes. Oh, God, by the way, speaking of Bob, the shuttle driver coming back late at night. So He is a Portland treasure. Jesus, so I'm going to Vegas this weekend, this oh, coming weekend. So I'll be leaving Friday afternoon, evening, like 4, 4, 5, something like that. Um, and then I'm going to be gone Friday night, Saturday, and I'm coming back Sunday night. You know what time I get back into Portland? 2 a.m. Sunday going into Monday, 2 a.m. And awesome. No, it's not as awesome as this. It's it's terrible because <laughs> once you get home, you realize that you don't remember where you packed half the stuff that you need for tomorrow. <laughs> and that's always the night that I forget where the car is. So I think it was an I, and then you're walking around like in the rain. It's always raining, pulling your luggage behind you while your wife screams at you, hitting the car alarm thing on your keychain, trying to get the car to start beeping so you can find it, so you can go home. You know where to find your card? Put it in your wallet right behind your ATM card. Oh, you know what I do? I put it in my money clip, actually. Well, that's good. The uh, That little, you know, the, the thing that I say as though that explains everything, you know, the... the uh, <laughs> The little magnetic strip card that you have to. But I lose my actual automobile, and then I have in the past lost my parking card. But I've started putting it in my money clip now so that I've always got it. Um, so I, I come home at 2 in the morning. Then I get to go home. Then I get to come to work. And then uh, that Monday, the next day, that's when they've rescheduled my dental appointment. So uh, I get to go to Vegas, huh. come back at 2 a.m., work all day, and then go have something sensitive drilled. 
That'll be fun. All right, here's Tim Riley. Well, we're done with the turnip story, aren't we? Yeah. I'm sure the perpetrator will turn up somewhere. <laughs> so somebody else has had Bob? Yes. All right. Yeah, I, maybe I'll get him on Sunday then. Because I don't think I've, I don't, I think I'd remember that. Oh, yeah. I, every time I come back to Portland. Where have you been? Welcome home. <laughs> my, na my name is Bob. <laughs> Wonderful. Let's talk about the Heather Mills, shall we? Can we? She has been awarded $48 million by a judge in the High Court in London who ruled on the bitter divorce case. The judgment states that uh, Mills has sought nearly $250 million, has been offered nearly $32 million by McCartney. However, on leaving court, uh, Mills insisted she was very happy with what she got. So it was an incredible result in the end, um, to secure mine and daughter's future and that of all the charities that I obviously plan on helping and making a difference with. Did you know that's been my life for 20 years? Yeah, she was going to give it all. I've a worse price than a paedophile or a murderer, and I've done nothing but charity for now, 20 years. Now, why does she have two different voices? This doesn't even sound like that's her. That's her all high-pitched and upset. Mm -hmm. So well, this she's is, so obnoxious. Like, what's the point of her having all that money if nobody she likes to give her it anymore? To charity. Yeah, so she wanted to give. She it to better children. give all that money to charity. It's all for the children. Somebody should start doing an investigative thing right now to see if the money actually Absolutely. goes to a charity. Absolutely. If it doesn't, you know she is just screwed. follow every single. I, because everybody in Britain hates her. I think. Mm -hmm. I think she's now loathed by almost everybody. Excellent. So why don't she just, you know, print these pamphlets and drop them from airplanes to children in Africa, saying there is no food here. <laughs> The um, everybody ought to be uh, children ought to be just we should be like a Wonka's factory thing where you can just stop by her house and she'll give you a hundred dollars. Oh, that'd be great. Uh, she said the legal system has been disapproving, but she recommends it to others. If you're in an impossible situation, which anybody listening will know that people don't see eye to eye, things get out of hand. You can be a litigant in person. It's not easy, but just make sure you do all your research, save yourself a fortune. All right, I'll try to remember all that. Yes, uh, yes oh, I'll try to be. Thanks for <laughs> telling me to be financially frugal, Miss Goddamn Fifty Million Dollars or whatever. And what kind of an accent is that? Is she from? Uh, is she English or is she from some other place? I think she's English. All right. Uh, what about those uh, looking for a divorce? Can you offer any advice? Anybody wanting to go through a divorce, try your hardest, man or woman, to settle it immediately. Well. Uh, never mind. I don't even care. I'm not even I'm not going to expend any energy on her. And a more domestic bliss, uh, Larry Flint is offering the call girl linked to the scandal involving the outgoing New York Governor Spitzer a million dollars to pose nude in his magazine. He said the proposed photo shoot would be very tastefully done. But adds that Ashley Alexandra Dupree would have to appear completely naked and not just topless. He said his readers don't like compromise and want the whole enchilada. <laughs> Show us your enchilada. Show us <laughs> your enchilada. Uh, Flint says he hasn't gotten a response from Dupree and isn't sure if she would accept. He, he says she's likely received offers from other men's magazines and other media. Uh, she's referred to as Kristen in court documents. They claim uh, Spitzer paid thousands of dollars for services for this uh, call girl. And then we have, uh, this is kind of weird, too. The estranged wife of former New Jersey Governor James McGreevy, who went gay, says uh, published reports that she engaged in sexual trysts with McGreevy and the campaign aide aren't true. Dina Matsos McGreevy, who's been on the TV a lot lately, says in an email to the AP that the reports are completely false. 29-year-old Teddy Peterson tells the Star Ledger and New York Post that he had threesomes with McGreevy about two years ago during the, uh, their courtship and into their marriage. 
Peterson said they ended with McGreevy was elected governor in 2001. McGreevy's lawyer declined to comment on the reports McGreevy and Matzos uh, McGreevy are currently involved in divorce well, proceedings. Apparently the guy also testified to that in like the grand jury or whatever it is, the, the under oath or whether there was some, some sort of sealed uh, court thing beforehand where this guy was, I guess he was he like the driver? He was the chauffeur? Yeah. So he was the chauffeur, he was the chauffeur, and then was also getting it on not only apparently with the governor, but getting it on with the governor and his wife simultaneously for for many many months. And which again I have no problem with, except that I mean it's just another one of those things where some politician I'm going to restore law and order and I am going to be above the and of course he's I guess as they were as I understand it when they would travel they would sort of they would go on these. Whatever they would have to travel for political reasons with their staffers, and apparently, as I was reading the story last night, the staffers were always a little confused because they would check into a hotel room, and the staffers would all have individual rooms, and then the governor and his wife would be sharing a hotel room with the chauffeur guy, which everybody sort of thought was odd, but nobody ever. Uh, really... Well, it makes it easier to get going in the morning, <laughs> and in the middle of the night, Tim. Uh, so anyway. So the, the general consensus, uh, and by consensus I mean what the chauffeur guy says, the chauffeur guy, apparently, uh, his story is that the governor um, was trying to stay uh, sort of straight acting uh, with his wife. This is so sad, but apparently the chauffeur guy believes that he was involved in the relationship because the only way the governor could achieve and sustain and, you know, perform with his wife is if like this this like hot chauffeur guy was sitting across the room in an armchair. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> I suppose. I guess it was sort of like a no no no, just look at me the whole time and you'll get through it. So anyway, so there you go. So there's uh former governor McGreevy who decided that uh he was then going to be gay. Uh all right, back on the Kristen uh, thing, the whatever the the hooker, the mm. spitzer hooker. Yes. So I saw some of those uh topless photos that the New York Post had. And I don't know if they if the post showed ones where she was completely the post wouldn't show like actual toplessness, no. would they? That that would be the British. Yeah, they the, would show that with no problem. I the ones I saw of her where she was, she was doing the Janet Jackson thing where she had her hands over her bosoms. I just and I I don't a I just don't find her all that attractive. Certainly not five thousand dollars a night attractive. I can't really think of anybody uh, either uh, like in anybody celebrity or otherwise that is worth five thousand dollars for an evening. Really, there's nobody who comes to mind. Um, and secondly. I think this is part of our trying to keep our finger on the national pulse and to, to read the zeitgeist correctly. Mm. I do believe that we're about two days away from, as a culture, just deciding to hate her. I think right now, I think we're all getting ready just to loathe her. Well, she's already making so much money. Like, her song's been downloaded. 200 grand. Jeez. 200 grand she already made on that uh, that terrible song. And she's song. always been offered, like, a million dollars to pose for Hustler. Yeah. Oh, what's more American? No, it really, no, it's true. I mean, that really is what makes this country great. So, uh... But I mean, she better make it while she can, because this time next year she'll be on everybody. She'll be uh, she'll be on our least favorite people. Well, the pimp was on Larry King, uh, I think Friday. I didn't uh, the, I didn't know that really. So you're the pimp. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about bitches. How do you keep them in line? Uh, so the, now was this the guy who ran the escort service or the whatever? Yeah, he seemed to be a nice guy. Now, did he seem uh, normal? He didn't seem pimp-like in no. any overt way. No. So did he seem like didn't just seem a, like the, a member of the pimp squad? Just an aspiring, <laughs> just an aspiring entrepreneur, just a, a suburban pimp. If, oh no, we could describe. I'll tell you right now, if I could run uh, some sort of a some sort of a pimp hooker service, service oh, and get away with it, if I thought I could do that, or maybe even go do it. See, but the problem is, 
I think you need a storefront location. I guess, and and and, and it's you know you got to go someplace where it's a seller's market. So How about the Lloyd Center. They have some vacancies over there. Should we inquire? Right next for a square point. Right next to the All American Nails place. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> um, it, but all, it seems to me like the places where prostitution is currently illegal, it's probably impossible to get a foothold because there's just so much entrenched competition there. Mm-hmm. It's like trying to run. You know, there's that whole thing about how if you're like if you're in the porn industry. I think there are only. And I think this is actually by regulation because they don't license anybody new. I think there are only two agencies in all of California that handle porn actresses. So if you want to be like a vivid video, Janet Jameson type girl, there are two modeling agencies, and they are the only two agencies in the state licensed to handle adult actresses. And so it's just impi- I think it is literally legally impossible to start a competitor. So I think that must be the thing with legalized hooking is all the places where it's legal, you know, people have been there for a billion years, you're never going to compete. Um, so it, that being said, in some other market, if I thought I could run a brothel and get away with it, like if you told me that I wouldn't be arrested, I'd do that in a heartbeat. I think that's money in the bank. Mm-hmm. So anyway. But we all get into it. I'm just saying I, I think that's really where, I mean, that is a, that is a recession-proof business is what that is. Mm. I feel a Golden Mike Award coming. Here's, here's Tim Riley. Well, let's talk about this uh, El Dorado County District Attorney in California deciding whether an argument between two adults over a G.I. Joe doll that almost came to blows is a crime or just a large, uh, lousy judgment on their part. This all occurred March 5th at a track meet at Ponderosa High School. The son of a man watching the meet ran up to another man and, uh, let's see, told him in another section of the bleachers that he had taken his doll and thrown it into the baseball field. Now, the Sacramento Bee said the son's father then uh, went to confront the man about the airborne G.I. Joe doll. The man told the father that several children had been tossing G.I. Joes around and hit him several times. After the third time, he tossed one of the G.I. Joes and hit him in the shoulder and then went into the field. The man then stated the father was uh, annoying him as well, and according to the father, then slugged him and caused him to fall backwards. The man told deputies he only stood up and pushed the father's finger away from his face. Several witnesses say that's exactly what happened. Now it's up to the DA to decide whether or not this is a G.I. Joe crime or not. Okay, this can't possibly be real. What? I'm looking... You were just mentioning Lloyd Center? Yes. They have openings? Um, <laughs> for hookers? <laughs> don't, don't they? Not for hookers, Tim. Um, no hookers, they, uh, And you know what they got rid of? Did I mention they got rid of that horrible tchotchke store that was there next to... Um, God, where was it? It was like by Marshalls or something? It was that store where they were selling the the Dale Earnhardt touch lamps, and the like the one of that. Uh, it wasn't dogs playing poker, but it was like gangsters playing poker. It was like Scarface and and Vito Corleone and Tony Soprano, and they were all playing poker together. And it was so bad, I almost wanted to buy it and put it in some completely disproportionately expensive frame and hang it in the studio just for like a goof. Um, so somebody sent me something, and this looks it's on Craigslist. But it looks very legitimate. Uh, Sarah, I'm going to forward this to you and to, to Tim, and we'll see if this is uh, we'll see if this if you feel this is real before we mention it. It is a uh, it is a uh, not help wanted, but it's a it's, it's sort of a sort of a part time job okay. that is being offered on Craigslist, but it does involve Lloyd Center. So I know that I'm sort of speaking in vagueness here, but I'm going to forward it to you guys, and you tell me whether you think this is real or not. All right, let's do one more, and then we'll take a break here. So we're still waiting to find out whether or not this is real. Well, I'm going to send it to you, and you can read it during the break. Well, police in Pennsylvania say they've arrested a naked man who ran amok, attacking businesses near a resort area. 
Uh, supermarket and hotel are assessing the damage. Uh, some office space at the hotel was trashed. A forklift was driven into an interior wall and an overhead sewer pipe was damaged. The man uh, entered a nearby market and threw a 300-pound pizza oven to the floor. Among other equipment damaged in the incident, uh, which was captured on surveillance cameras, was a $90,000 meat wrapping machine. The 28-year-old <laughs> suspect reportedly had been a guest at the resort. He's now uh, risking a catastrophe, criminal mischief, open lewdness, and other counts, and he's being ordered held in Lancaster County Prison on $200,000 bail. Fantastic. All right, let's uh, take a break here. We'll come back after this. Uh, coming up later on, a truly terrific and horrific top five. Uh, Jim Rupp will join us. More from Tim Riley around the corner. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. Don't go anywhere. All right, well, now I'm really confused. So this guy sent me an email saying, Hey, about Lloyd Center, it's completely true. I used to work security there. There's a porn director there. What, at the event that you just sent me? No. I don't even know what he's talking about now. Security had video of one of his women walking from his office to his restroom. Wearing only a sheet. I don't know what this email is about. <laughs> I have no idea what this means. So somewhere in Lloyd Center, there's a porn director. That's, that's, the, that's his claim, that's or his that claim. there was. I have no way of knowing if that's true. All right. Well, whatever. All right, here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Uh, Christian police have arrested a 26-year-old woman and charged her with 86 counts of identity theft. She got to the post office. This sounds like this is something, well, we don't recommend doing it. She got to the post office, filled out a change of address card, noting the victim's name and listing her apartment as the forwarding address. Within days, police say she would receive the victim's mail, including sensitive financial documents, even W-2 tax forms. And police say it's just the tip of the iceberg. So I guess if somebody didn't like somebody else, they could do that if they knew your address. So is this, now, this is someone purported to be her, or she claimed to be somebody else? She claimed to be somebody else. Do you ever... But she used a change of address card. Oh, I see. You know, can I just tell you this? Here's the thing. Laura and I have been in our current location for five years, maybe. We've been in our house five years, something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are at least three other people to whom mail is still sent at our address. Uh, and it, it just it show and and they're always and we we don't ever do anything we always put it back in the in the bar or whatever we put like return to not at this address or whatever you're supposed to put it. Uh -huh. and because we don't open the mail of others that's both wrong and a crime but sometimes it comes from the most tantalizing return addresses you know what I mean well you'll get it and it'll say something like medical research facility you know and then, and then it's still like you know American Schizophrenic <laughs> Society that was the person who used to live in my house in St John's <laughs> I used to get that all the time <laughs> and you're you're looking at it going. Uh, I really want to know what's inside here. It, it's like, you know, to John McVicker. Yeah, it'll be it'll be something about important medical results enclosed, confidential. And you're just like, well, maybe I could just reseal it. And then I don't. I sort of, I, I just put it out of this, I put it back out before the temptation overwhelms me. But it's, it's like three or four different people. Yeah. Um, and it does make you wonder, because that, you figure if one person, even if they each only lived there for a year, that's stuff from like a decade ago that's still being sent. And so then you wonder, where are they now that they're not, that they haven't bothered to still, like after 10 years, they still haven't informed everybody as to like where they've moved. So, all right, here's Tim Riley. 
Well, let's talk about uh, Barack Obama, who apparently is in trouble over this uh, reverend fellow. Oh, we're not we're not done with your story yet. Are we not? What story? The the uh, Craigslist story. <sighs> yeah. Are we done I, with... uh, well, yeah. I think we're gonna skip it. I think we might skip it. It seems like it's it. Oh, put it in a skip pile. I I think we're gonna skip it. It seems like it. Uh, it, it might. It seems one like, of the specific qualifications is a little here's, uh, weird. Yeah, it seems like it might uh, it might lead to uh, to awkward observations uh, yeah. th- that we should probably just uh, uh, not have at this point. So we're just going to move on from that. Although a guy, by the way, a guy was just show- he sent this email said uh, where was he shopping? Um, oh, now my now my browser's frozen. You know there is something weird in the studio. There's a there's clearly a, there's a man on the wing of the studio. That's the problem. Maybe because it's St. Patrick's Day. I can't figure out. I don't know where, where he saw this, um, but a guy was at some store and he snapped a photograph of this product and sent it to me. It is Earth Mama brand nipple butter. So there you go. I'll find out more when my browser's unfrozen. So it's a it comes in a big tub apparently. Here's Tim Riley. Uh, so apparently this uh, Reverend Barack Obama's church uh, has been criticized for saying that the United States was at least partly to blame for the 9-11 attacks. It's also come into fire for comments that Hillary Clinton does not understand the struggle of African Americans. Obama's in uh, Chicago for a fundraiser, and uh, he was talking about this Reverend Jeremiah Wright, who made these incendiary remarks. If all I knew was those statements that I saw on television, I would be shocked. So apparently this is his longtime pastor. And let's see, here's uh, one of the uh, Reverend's more controversial sermons, but it's only 11 seconds, so I guess it's short. Hillary is married to Bill, and Bill has been good to us. No, he ain't. Bill did us just like he did Monica Lewinsky. He was riding dirty. (laughs) That's fantastic. I want that guy to be, I would start going to church again if that guy was the preacher. Excellent. Can you play that one more time? You bet. That's fantastic. Hillary is married to Bill, and Bill has been good to us. No, he ain't. Bill did us just like he did Monica Lewinsky. He was riding dirty. First of all, does it sound like he's preaching to about 70,000 people? That's pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. Also, I do believe at one point he says, Bill, have been good to Russ. So whoever Russ is, apparently he's the beneficiary of all this. So he is, uh, I think, for like 20 years, right? He was uh, Barack Obama's spiritual advisor. I guess that's a term everybody's using these days. Everyone has their own spiritual advisor. And I don't really know what that means exactly. I'm not really, is that like some sort of guidance counselor or something? Some sort of career planner? So I think uh, spiritual advisor is the term that they tried to use early on. So that maybe they knew that the guy was some sort of nutcase. And so rather than just flat out saying he was the guy who ran Barack Obama's church, they were trying to say spiritual advisor to sort of give him a little bit of, uh, little bit of distance, which clearly has proven to not be enough. So they're going to try to, uh, they're gonna try to put, that him, uh, put that on Barack like uh, some sort of a millstone. Uh, Madonna's new single has been uh, previewed. This song is called Four Minutes. It features pop singer Justin Timberlake. It debuted on American Idol's uh, Ryan Seacrest, uh, one of many radio programs. It's from the album Hard Candy, which will be released in Europe April 28th and in the U.S. on the 29th. So let's uh, crank up the old Victrola here and give it a listen. It's hip bound, kids. She's on this. I hear Justin Timberlake. This is it? Yeah. 
I guess. So it's, uh, let's see here, uh, the album will be Madonna's last for Warner Brothers after 26 years, so maybe she's not trying that hard. <laughs> <laughs> maybe she's phoning it in. This is like the, uh, the, final, uh, the, the final day before you go on vacation or something. I, it just sounds, it sounds like one of those uh, tracks where the whole thing was put together and then she happened to walk by the studio while they were recording it. doesn't it. sound good on the radio. No, no, it does not. Mm. And, and, and the question is sort of who's going to play that at this point? You know what I mean? I mean, I, I guess by putting Justin Timberlake on it, that's not just for sales. That must be for, for purposes of airplay. Mm -hmm. Because, uh, it, it, just, like, you hear a lot of those acts that come out now and you wonder, like, what is the, like, who's going to be playing that? I mean, that's a, it's a really good question, actually. I don't understand... And this is really because I'm I'm ancient. I don't know where a kid who is let's say 16, and 16 is always the age I go to because that to me is like that's that is the heart of adolescence is when you were 16, <clears throat> because you've got some you know you're working so you got some disposable income maybe you have a car but you're still living at home still in school so that is sort of the that is the pinnacle of your adolescent consumption period as a consumer. If you are a 16 year old kid. Where do you suppose the average 16-year-old hears new music now? New Music Tuesday from iTunes. They send it to you every Tuesday. Is that true? Yes. Even, even if they are fighting through iPod fatigue, yeah. Tim Riley? Yes. So, I get it every Tuesday. I mean, I would really be interested in knowing that because I can't imagine. I mean, just call it what it is. I mean, you know, that for that demographic... Uh, you know, it's just proved a real, a real uh, sticky wicket for radio to try to get those kids to keep listening, and it, with varying degrees of success. Well, the, the kids don't need the the music radio per se. Let's try to find a nicer way to put that. Well, they don't need radio per se, uh, as such. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, and that would be the icing of the cake. That would be desirable. And it's sort of an, you know, it's kind of an old canard at this point to say that MTV doesn't play music, but they, you know, but they, they, they well, really do have a website which the kids would go to. MTV. Yes, I believe so. Or do they VH1. play music on the MTV website? Well, they must. V VH1, I know they do. Yeah, but see, VH1 is not for kids. Isn't VH1 for for old folks like ourselves? Probably. VH1 is even for Sarah now. She's not even 30. So VH1 is already targeting her. I mean, I know they got like MTV hits and MTV jams and MTV whatever, like a, a bunch of those. But I don't see, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I don't see the average 16-year-old sitting around on the sofa watching the television to get their music a lot these days. So I, don't, I would say that's an accurate description. I really don't know whether it's all from... I mean, it's, and it's impossible to talk about this without sounding like some parody of an old person, too. I don't know whether kids all get, they get their music from MySpace. And, and I know the saying that it sounds retarded, because that sounds like something that your grandmother would say. The kids get the music from uh, MySpace or something? Maybe but I mean, find I, some uh, street teamers or T-shirt folders in here. They would know. I really, or somebody who has a 16-year-old, if you sort of know what your kid does, I really would be curious to know, if you, if you are a record company and you've got some hot young band with a single that you think could do something, what is the preferred method that you use to get that to a 16-year-old? Maybe we have some hot young bands listening. They could tell us. That's entirely possible. Uh, okay, I'm going to have to reboot my computer over here, by the way, because everything's decided to freeze up. So oh, that sucks. If you hear any weirdness or whatever, that's uh, that's where that is coming from. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hi, Rick. Hey. Um, I just had a question about Obama's uh, spiritual advisor guy. Yes, sir. Why is he in such hot water if all he said was America is partly responsible for that and Hillary doesn't know the struggles of black people? Uh, and also because, uh, well, largely he's in trouble because the media has decided to make him in trouble. Right. Also, also because, and again, I have no partisan input on this. I'm just speaking, as Henry Kissinger would say, in the sense of real politic. Uh, when you are running for president, 
you can't have the guy who is your spiritual advisor saying that we brought 9-11 on ourselves. That's not going to get you elected. Uh, And uh, leaving aside the issue of whether that's true or not, uh, true has nothing to do with it. You can't be running for president and have a guy in your campaign saying 9-11 was our fault. Uh, Also, by the way, just because the other thing the guy said is he the other phrase they've latched onto with this this guy is that uh, black should not say God bless America. Black should instead say what, Tim? I don't know. God damn America. Oh. So, which is, you know, which is a little a little edgy because he's a preacher and all. So, again, doesn't matter whether you think the guy's right or wrong, you can't be running for president and have that guy, like, hanging out at your campaign headquarters. That's not going to fly. Well, I suppose. But if you said partially responsible, according to George Bush and his staff, it was all Clinton's fault that we weren't prepared no, for No, everything it, so. is Bill Clinton's fault. Didn't you know that? <laughs> all things everywhere are Bill Clinton's fault. Exactly. So, as far no, as I know. No, because because if he goes into the fall election against John McCain and a guy and John McCain, who of course is going to be running on the on, you know the strength and war and whatever and stuff and bombing and shooting folks and whatever, uh, if John McCain is going to try to hinge everything on the war on terror, that guy is uh, going to become, as they say, a liability to Barack Obama's campaign. True. That no, and, and on your other subject with the music, I have uh, yeah. twenty eighteen-year-old boys. And as far as I know, they just steal everything off the Internet. But, I mean, where do they – okay, so I understand that. Uh, but my question is, where do they hear about – and I'm not talking about an existing act or a band that they already are familiar with. W- do you know where they hear about something that is brand new? In other words, I'm not talking about you know, they go online and they're going to uh, download, you know, whatever it is, like Slipknot or something. But something that already has, that is recent, but has – but also had uh, sort of a foothold before the Internet. Uh I mean, a brand new artist. Where do you suppose a kid hears a brand new music act now? I I really don't know, except maybe word of mouth from their friends. But, I mean, the friends have got to hear it from someplace. Yeah, I really don't know. It's fascinating. How old are you, sir? Uh, 42. When you were... 42. When you were uh, a teenager, from where did you hear about a brand new song or artist? Was it the radio? Uh, That or the KTEL commercials on TV. Yeah. (laughs) So there is, there is really no, there's no, you know the only equivalent there is to the KTEL stuff now? The only equivalent there is, is, well, there's two things. A, like those free music samplers that they still give away sometimes, like with a magazine or whatever, like if you buy, uh, you know, like you buy Blender or, or Mojo or something and there's the CD inside. Or B, when you go on iTunes or similar and there's like those custom mixes other people have made. So like if you're right. looking up, whatever, so if you're looking up Tom Petty, uh, and over to the side, it'll be like, John's Tex-Mex compilation. It's awesome! Five exclamation marks and a zero. Uh, and then you listen to that guy's homemade mix that he has sort of uploaded as a playlist to iTunes. That's got to be the equivalent of the KTEL record today. That's true. All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Rick. All right. There you go. Getting no traction with this. Here's Tim Riley. That was exciting. Uh, SNL is... Jumping on the Elliot Spitzer comedy bandwagon. <laughs> the NBC show opened this past week. It was a parody of the disgraced governor's apology speech. In this clip, uh, Spitzer is played by SNL's Bill Hader. Anyone uh, familiar with this? No. Fellow? No. Well, In this me. clip, uh, Spitzer, played by SNL's Bill Hader, uh, discusses the types of cases he'll take on as an attorney specializing in lurid law. <laughs> Have you suffered a slip and fall in a gay bathhouse? <laughs> be honored to handle your case. Has U.S. Customs unfairly seized your shipment of German porn? Let's sue them and get it back. In all honesty, I can't imagine a case I would turn down. That's a promise. That's really funny. 
You know what I watched that was funny? And I was surprised that I'd enjoy it. Mm. Dirty Rock. Dirty Rock is really good. Genius. Two episodes of it on the plane coming back. Uh, the the one the the partial episode that I saw. I got to put that on my list. I got to put it on my list. Put it on my list of things to watch. It was really funny. I, now I am completely now caught up with Battlestar because I watched Battlestar Razor, which is the sort of stopgap movie they made. Mm. Uh, so now I can start that Battlestar Galactica philosophy book too. Uh, so I'm caught up with Battlestar. I'm done with The Wire. I am caught up with Dexter. I am now uh, catching up with Friday Night Lights. 30 Rock, though. But Friday Night Lights, A, is, is you know, it's an hour-long drama, and B, it's great, but goddamn, it's bleak. It's just like one endless just kick to the junk every week. So, But I need something light to balance it out. 30 Rock is going to be the balance. Fantastic. Uh, no, I hear really good things about 30 Rock. I do. Yeah. Uh, I was skeptical at first because I'd sort of thrown my lot in with Studio 60 and Aaron Sorkin. But 30 Rock at time has shown to be the superior program. So, uh, And I hear Alec Baldwin is... Uh, He's uh, is pretty genius. On Outstanding. Yeah, he's, he's you wouldn't think so, but he is. Absolutely, he's charming and hilarious, and Excellent. it's funny, especially working in the media, because you see a lot of the personality types that we've encountered. Really? And you can yeah, you can kind of see like you know like the whole diva personality and. I got to tell you, reading that book that Tim gave to me, which is raised on radio, uh, I'm not necessarily going to recommend it for everybody. I would recommend it for. A, uh, radio junkies, you know, guys who are really, really into radio or the history of radio, sort of the, you know, like the Bruce Aglers of the world, mm. or B, people who work in radio. If you work in radio, you'll probably find it fascinating. It, 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 I know I've said this uh, earlier on today, but it is amazing how little things have changed. Yeah, uh, how comedy is done and how to build audiences. How, exactly, and how certain people... Um, Any aspiring performer should read it, really. It, it, it's, it's wonderful. I mean, it's, it, it's a long-ass book. It's like 500 pages. I'm only 100 pages into it, but it's... They talk about how, I almost don't do it justice by sort of paraphrasing, but a couple of the things that leapt off, and again, they're talking about radio, Christ, in like the 40s, mm -hmm. 60 years ago, and they're talking about how at one point in the big transition from sort of vaudeville and live stage acts to radio, how David Sarnoff and William Paley were out there uh, trying to, uh, you know, sort of build their stable of talent, and they noted how sometimes... People who didn't really have any broadcasting skills or abilities were still hired because they were recently famous or had recently been in some sort of a scandal or had recently become popular in some other field and were therefore handed a radio show, which happens with alarming regularity even now. Um, they talk about certain performers who worked really well in the live setting, but you would bring them into the studio where there was no live audience and they would suck. And they would just suck the life out of the, out of the show, uh, which is... Uh, which has happened in, on many radio programs, this one included, with some folks. So uh, it, it really is a very, very good book. So I'm enjoying it quite a lot. So thank you for that recommendation, Tim. You're welcome. All right. Happy fifth anniversary to the Iraqi War. It's been going on. I made it a bit. It's been going on for five years, starting today. Uh, Senator Clinton accused the Bush administration of badly managing the war and said, "No more. No more talk of permanent occupation. No more policing a civil war." No more doing for the Iraqis what they need to be doing for themselves. No more teachers' dirty looks. And the the uh, the other thing is, I saw some uh, uh, some study yesterday, some story. It cost a trillion dollars. A trillion dollars. And do you know uh, how, like in the in the last, uh, I think six months, how much the average television nightly newscast has spent per week on the Iraq War, uh, time-wise, four minutes. Yeah, that'll be four minutes. It is now. Uh, this time last year, the Iraq War was 25% of news coverage. 25% uh, of the news coverage was about the Iraq War. Now, 3%. So, now 3%. And, and I'm exempting us from that because we're, <laughs> we're just here to, we're just here to, to, be, to be nitwits. Uh, but actual, real news coverage 
of the Iraq War is now down to 3%. So, I, and I don't even, and I know this makes me sound like, um, whatever, but I, I, I'm not even, I don't even know what the, uh, the, the American, I'm not going to be a big buzzkill, but I don't even know what the American casualty count is at this point, the death count. It's got to be 4,000. Well, they stopped counting them after a while. Well, because there was a big deal made at the thousandth uh, American fatality, and then there was a big deal made when it surpassed the number of people killed on 9-11, which was 2,000-something or other. It's got to be 4,000 at this point. I mean, it has to be. I mean, and that's just the fatalities. So, General pal Dick Cheney uh, yeah. made a surprise visit to Baghdad where 29 people were blown up today, but he's happy to be uh, bringing back some good news to Washington, or so he claims. I think it's been a, uh, a difficult, challenging, but uh, nonetheless successful endeavor, and uh, that we've come a long way in five years, and that it's been uh, well worth the effort. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. Whatever. Jesus. From the Minister of Propaganda. I, I just I literally have no 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 response. I have no I, I they're just at this point they're just running out the clock, don't you think? Yeah. I mean they just he sees they're pulling the same old car out of a recipe file and using them. Uh, he just yeah he sees the the end zone at this point and they're just uh, you know they're just not going to uh, do anything between betwixt now and then. Uh, we'll have to take these uh, kind of blind until my call screening software boots back up. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Rick Emerson, best show ever. Thank you, sir. Hey, uh, I'm 25, and I uh, I refuse to listen to music radio anymore. Part of it is because I've, I've worked in it, and part of it because it sucks for distance. But I actually pull a lot of... Uh, is, sucking, find the, is sucking for distance like an Olympic event of some kind? Is this personal bitterness involved here? Yeah. It, it should be, and I think most of your modern program directors, uh, present company excluded, would probably win the gold medal. Uh, I don't think there's enough gold medals to go is this, around, actually. Is this because of personal en- enmity? Have you have you been fired by a music no. radio station? No, not at all. I actually have left on good terms. I was working at an active rock station uh, on air, and uh, it just got to the point where I played the same damn ACDC song so many times that I wanted to hang myself, so I figured the more practical uh, solution was to uh, move on and uh, find another low-paying job in another uh, well, in another genre. So the question for you is: So, if you, uh, so where do you hear new music? Uh, I actually have found a lot of great bands on uh, the newer video games. I think it kind of started with uh, EA and their EA Sports line. Uh, they would actually have a lot of new and emerging acts as uh, soundtracks for their games, and they would identify the band and the song and the album. And uh, I actually found a lot of great, like, modern punk, pop uh, kind of stuff through video games. That is true, actually. In fact, even going back as far as 1998, I know that you mentioned video games. Uh, when In 1998, when I was still living in San Diego, this is right before I moved to Portland, my wife and I, uh, we were living in San Diego, and we would hang out at the beach, and there was this great place. It was like a pizza place, but it also had this kind of cool video game arcade. And so there was this Sega game, an arcade game called Top Skater. And it was, oh, yes. it was, it was like one of those full-on immersive games where you stand on the skating, the skateboard, and then there's bars you grab on either side so you don't fall off, whatever. But as you, and you would go through a skate park, and it was like a first-person uh, perspective skating game. But as you would go through, it would cycle through all of these like uh, these punk tunes, and it was like a bunch of Pennywise and whatever. Uh, right. But it would sort of give the song title and the artist as you were skating through, and that was like ten years ago. Now that makes sense. All right, thank you, sir. Uh, Richie, can you do me a favor and rescreen? The other, like, two through what, four or whatever, so I can kind of see who we're talking to uh, on KCMD Portland. Here's Tim Riley. Well, after heated public outcries, the Discovery Science Center in Santa Ana isn't going to allow an elephant to be put inside a giant soap bubble. 
this is supposed to be part of tomorrow's Bubble Fest. It was to feature artist Fan Yang attempting a world bubble-blowing record by enclosing an elephant inside a bubble. Uh, center officials say animal rights groups and activists voice their opposition with thousands of emails and lots of phone calls. The outcry was enough to convince them not to put an elephant inside a bubble. I don't understand. First of all, how do you put an elephant inside a bubble? Well, maybe that's part of the mystery. Sense. No, it doesn't make any sense at all. Wouldn't the bubble have to be... Would have to if, make contact with something. Standing, if she's standing next to the bubble, or maybe she's sitting on top of the elephant blowing a giant bubble. But the bubble has to make contact with something which would make it pop, like it has to touch the floor or something. You can't levitate the elephant. Mm-hmm. Maybe well, they didn't know that. Yeah, whatever. I guess they're not going to do it. By the way, having just rebooted my computer here, and I'm getting ready to uh, do, you know, just hit the, the Firefox, that uh, was our browser, and it went to Yahoo. Here's the following Yahoo headline. Just the weirdest. Do you ever see headlines that are so surreal they just make no sense at all? Mm. And you're wondering, <clears throat> like, what kind of context would possibly have created this headline? Clinton disputes comedian Sinbad's Bosnia claims. I'm now shrugging towards the microphone. Sinbad. God, I haven't Sinbad. heard that name in years. But Clinton, presumably Hillary, Clinton disputes comedian Sinbad's Bosnia claims. I'm not even going to look it up. Here's the, I don't even want to know. What are the Bosnia claims? I don't really know. And, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move forward in willful uh, ignorance because I think it's funnier that way. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Uh, this is, hey, yes, Richie, it is. Hi. What's up? Hey, uh, my, I was going to let you know that my 16-year-old gets most of his music like, from video games. And then he'll find the artist, and then he goes online and finds their albums. And then through Rhapsody and YouTube and, or, and other things, you can see, well, if you like this band, right. this band. And it, so that's where he's getting all his music from. Video games really are, that's a huge deal, is trying to get your song inside. I remember the first time I played a video game, and I saw actual advertising in the game. And I think it was a, it might have actually been the same skating game, uh, where you're going through a skate park, and there were... In the world of the virtual skate park, there were these big billboards you would skate past, and they were real companies. Yeah. Uh, real companies, I think actually some websites even in 1998 that were advertising in the game. So getting uh, your song inside of a video game is sort of like uh, a couple years ago when everybody was having the big debate about whether it was still selling out to put your song in a commercial. Because there's, you know, there's only so many ways to get people to pay attention to you now. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, the, the big one is, uh, is uh, the Tony Hawk's game. Yeah. Because you can actually pick the music you want through it. That's, you can do the same thing, I think, on Grand Theft Auto. I think, probably, uh, that other car game he has, too, and I don't remember which one it is, where you uh, crash your cars. Burnout. Yeah, burnout. Burnout, yeah. It's the same way. And so yeah. so that that must be where, I mean, if you're a record, if you're a record company or some sort of media conglomerate, uh, but see, again, you know, the, the, it's, as it always happens, though, the independent actors are just going to get screwed. Again, it's just a whole new medium in which to shaft indie artists because... Obviously, if you're some uh, guy working at Columbia Records or some guy working at Elektra or something, uh, you're going to have much more pull with a video game country a company than just some guy sitting in his basement in St. John's. So. Well, it could be. I do know that on, uh, oh, where was it? He went to, uh, uh, not Sega, but uh, who makes Tony Hawk's EA Games? Right. And they have this huge saying, uh, fans, submit your, uh, submit your uh, music for our next upcoming video games. Uh, somebody will contact you if we wish to uh, pursue. Weird. Boy. So, All right. Yeah. And uh, and another thing, just off the top, yeah. is uh, 16-year-olds really can't have jobs anymore since they changed the child labor laws. Is that true? Yeah, he can. He went to get a job at McDonald's, and he can only work like 16 hours a week while he's in school. And then during the summer, he can only work like 20 
to 25 hours. I don't think I had any That's such so regulations. I no, think... I worked two jobs during the summer. That was... <laughs> I, I think yeah. it worked me like a dog when I was like 15 and a half. Yeah, so. I, I've been working since I was like 14, you know, and I started out in the woods and, uh, with my uncle's logging company. So Weird. All right. Yeah. Thank you, sir. You bet, man. All right, there you go. Here's Tim Riley. Let's have a Britney watch. Let's have a Britney watch, shall we? in two parts. Part one. The man uh, claiming to be a friend and manager to Britney Spears, Sam Lufty, has agreed to have a temporary restraining order forbidding him from contacting Britney Extended for another 30 days. His spokesman has confirmed that the former manager of Britney has agreed to stay away from the singer for another 30 days. The restraining order against Lefty was placed in late February and will expire today. Uh, Lefty agreed to uh, stay away from Britney for another 30 days, thus avoiding a courtroom confrontation with the singer's parents. Her father is Britney's co-conservator through July 31st. Mother Lynn made heartbreaking allegations against Lefty in documents seeking a restraining order, claiming he attempted to gain control of her daughter by putting medicine in her food and isolating her from the outside world. Uh, the temporary restraining order against Lefty could be extended for five years. could even be made permanent. Part 2. At least 13 UCLA Medical Center staffers could lose their jobs for snooping into Britney's confidential. It is the day after a long trip. Britney's confidential medical records while she stayed in the psychiatric ward this year. The LA Times reports the medical center is taking steps to terminate 13 workers while six other employees have been suspended. Six physicians might be disciplined for looking at the computerized records. The hospital said they're trying to head off an invasion of Britney's privacy by sending a memo to staffers after the performer was hospitalized January 31st. Well, don't you just assume that happens all the time anyway? Yeah. I mean, if you were... I mean, how could you not? I mean, this is like the thing about the getting the weird emails for former residents of, or the uh, weird letters sent to my home for former residents. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're working at a hospital and you're looking down at the file and it says Spears, Britney, of course you're going to open that. I mean, I, that's just... I, that's like sort of that's like police beating suspects with hoses in a basement room. I just operate under the assumption that it happens. I mean, I would be as, I would be astounded if you told me that it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. So, all right, there you go. There's your uh, double Britney watch for Monday on the Rick Emerson Radio program. By the way, somebody's weighing in late on the uh, the guy I saw in the library over the weekend who was surfing uh, pornography on a huge, and it was a really high resolution monitor too, of course. And I so it, tell the story again briefly because others might have joined us in, during that period of time. Why, thank you, Tim. Mm -hmm. uh, for those who came in, this is sort of a uh, this is an instant recap. Yes. So uh, yesterday I was uh, walking into the library. And I was walking into whatever the room is where you, you, you look up the, the books on the catalog, and you have to walk by this bank of computers that people use for Internet access. Uh, 
And it's the very first computer all the way on the end of the row. So it's the computer that everybody must walk by. Which library was this? It was the one downtown, the central location oh, yeah. downtown. Mm -hmm. the, the one that has thousands of people, including children, walking through at any moment. Yeah. And I guess there's... And let me be clear about this. I guess this is maybe one of the things that makes America great, that you can go to a library and look up whatever you want, up to and including pornography. Because I think every year we have some story about how the government wants to install filters on the library. And I think every year the library tells the government to just to, 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 to you know, to, to F off. Uh, I think to, just to get bent because, the, you know, librarians are you know, very First Amendment oriented and whatever. Um, but so, so one of the unintended side effects of that is as you walked into this uh, room in the library, Everybody had to walk by this computer, and I don't get the feeling the guy chose it intentionally. Like, I don't think his whole thing was, I'm going to make everybody look at this, this porn. I think it might have just been the first one he saw open. And so he sat down, and as I walked in, you know, and it's not like I was sort of deliberately trying to see what other people were doing on their computer, but I was trying to scope out if there was an open terminal somewhere. So, you know, what do you do? You sort of look to see, you know, which, which terminals are open and which aren't. And I looked down on this guy's screen. How do I put this? Um, have you ever seen, it, I guess it's not even just porn, it's whatever, where the the shot is so tight that you can't quite tell what is happening on the screen? Oh. You know what I'm saying? Like, devoid of any context. Like, there, uh, there's this photo that went around the net a while back where it was a close-up. A woman had sort of, um, she had flexed her arm. You know, she'd sort of brought her arm up close to her chest, and they had taken a very tight shot of the area right near her elbow where your upper arm meets your lower arm. And so they'd taken a very tight shot of the, her elbow, and it, it looked for all the world like something else. It looked very much like another part of the female anatomy. But then it was sort of a wah-wah where they pull back, and it's, oh, it's just an elbow. Aren't you filthy-minded? So as I'm walking by this guy's computer monitor, I just see a bunch of just weird pink shapes moving back and forth and i'm like well what's that and i and you know it's human nature without pokemon. even anyway, pokemon pokey woman <laughs> uh so without even really thinking human nature i stopped and i focused on the screen for a second and it, without stopping and I, I was like oh my god and then i realized he's watching porn and as i walk by the monitor in my head though i'm thinking well maybe it wasn't porn maybe it was uh Maybe it was some sort of up-close dental training film. You know, whatever. I'm trying to figure out what it is. So then I have to satisfy my curiosity. So I loop back around, and I even I even spotted the title of the movie because it said it across the top in big letters. It was called Chick Flicks. Uh, How do you do this without without being noticed or oh, he was, suspicious? He was totally, somebody's paying attention to me, totally <laughs> engrossed in this lesbo porn he was watching. So I walk by, and it's clearly uh, two women engaged in an act of tenderness. Uh, but, like... As I said earlier, not just in a little tiny embedded YouTube win window. It was like a full-on, full-screen, high-resolution porn film he was watching. And I didn't stop, and I tried, and I did try to respect his privacy by not stopping and going, "Hey, look at this porn." I just wanted to see if he was in fact so brazen as to be watching porn. He didn't look homeless either. That's the other thing. He looked like he was, you know, maybe not upscale, but he looked like a guy who probably came from somewhere. Um, Anyway, so he's watching the porn, and it was just, and you wonder how often, like, does, do people complain about that to the librarians? And does the Multnomah County Library have a policy against watching porn? If they do, who's the, do they have to draw straws? Who's the poor sap that has to go up and tell some mouth breather to quit looking at the, uh, you know, lesbian porn on the monitor? Kind of well, as long as it's not abused. 
define abused. I mean, you don't come in there every day. So there's some porn. So you're given like a 10 minutes per week porn limit. Uh, This guy says, though, Rick, I live in Southeast, so it probably was not the same guy you saw. But there are several weirdos at my neighborhood library location who I and probably many other people have witnessed using public Internet access in what would be you uh, seem to be an inappropriate uh, manner. Number one. A sweatpants-encased, hairy, fat man clicking through a hot-or-not style picture-rating website of naked, obese women engaged in various sexual activities. He says, wishing it could be him. (laughs) You are here. I have never been more happy to see a person with a big gut, a gut uh, big enough to overflow onto their crotch. If his gut had been smaller, things may have been even more visible and disgusting. Two... A filthy, ragged, and bearded bearded person of indeterminate sex and age playing some sort of online anime porn game. He said, I had to do a triple take as my brain struggled to process, A, who taught the homeless to use the Internet and play online games, and B, that online anime tentacle rape games existed. (laughs) It's a big world. He said... I still don't understand what connections occur in these people's brains to make, hey, I'm going to go to check out some porn in a public place. I've never seen someone intently reading a Massive Mamas magazine while on the Max, much less at a library or college quad. One can only assume that these people are either mentally damaged and cannot distinguish between private and public activities, or they somehow think that doing something like this will strike up a conversation with a passerby who's also interested in public porn watching. Either that or it's just some misguided ploy picking up women, much like the people you see in coffee shops who are working on their novels. Uh-huh. So there you go. So it's not just me that's experienced this. Here's uh, Tim Ryan. I don't think I could touch a public keyboard. <laughs> you touched that keyboard. <laughs> and Timmy Ryan was scratching himself uncontrollably I over like it. this. <laughs> I don't think what, some you know, sort of substance. <laughs> you, know you, you know what you need for that keyboard? You need one of those, like, uh, cans of compressed air. Oh, yeah. Sort of. <laughs> except... If you did that, God only knows what would fly out of that. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Have you ever turned that keyboard upside down and tapped it? Oh, oh God. Yes, once it grossed me out. You should do it right now. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Here's Tim Riley. Well, your check is almost in the mail. The IRS is alerting you to expect rebate checks. So it's not really the check. When you see it in the mail, it's just telling you it's coming soon. Uh, the letter begins. Dear taxpayer... Uh, if you're an individual, you might get up to $600. And if you have uh, a wife... And uh, children's, you can qualify for about $1,200. So the more kids you have, uh, the better off you are. Why not get started today? And they're going to start sending these out in May. So you don't have long to wait. So if you're paying property taxes, it may arrive just before your taxes are due. Somebody wants to know, why does Tim Riley drive to the airport? Does he not live near a max line? Can he not handle the change between the red and blue lines to get there? The last time I took the max to come (laughs) home from the airport... Right at 82nd Street, there was, there was a crime going on. So what do they do? Open the doors wide so the criminals can run right on the train and kill us all. I knew there must be a reason. Never again will I take the max to or from the airport. Excellent. I will gladly ride with Bob the shuttle driver and listen to his jokes from highlights Wonderful. to take me back to my parking space. Oh, I, I, I knew there had to be some sort of a story behind it. It's like Excellent. That's why. Never, ever ride the Max Tour from the airport. Duly noted. Unless there are officers on there with automatic weapons. Fantastic. Here's Tim Riley. Not going to happen anytime soon. Uh, let's talk about the Charles Manson. Can we? Mm-hmm. He's uh, an American master to some people. 
Uh, forensic investigators are digging up the desert in Death Valley, California, where Charles Manson once resided in hopes of unearthing bodies of more of his victims. Sergeant Paul Gosty of the Mammoth Lakes Police Department say rumors of other victims have circulated for years since the Manson family cult killings more than 40 years ago. Those rumors have prompted him to start looking again. I ended up training a dog as a cadaver dog, but more importantly, uh, some very nice folks in the Bay Area taught me how to train my dog to look for historic graves, and uh, that seemed like a good good first search. It's an odd time for, for, for your dog to have, seriously. Ugh. And then we have attorney uh, Vincent Bugliosi, who prosecuted Charles Manson some 40 years ago. He says rumors of other deaths have circulated since the Manson killings of the 1960s. I think this whole thing is a little premature because no bodies have yet been found, but if bodies are found, it doesn't surprise me at all because uh, the Manson family uh, used to say we offed 35 people. Uh, Attorney Vinny says if bodies are discovered, there is a lot left to do in this case to bring it to court. A prosecutor would have to convene a, uh, a special grand jury, issue subpoenas, and take testimony from all the Manson family members or anyone else who has knowledge to determine whether or not they know how these uh, bodies, whether it's one or two or more bodies, ended up uh, in their graves. And what fun would that be? Charles Manson is the gift that keeps on giving. They never did find that... Uh, there's that guy, Ronald uh, Shea, I think his name was. He was one of the attorneys for the Manson family who, that's one of those uh, clients where y you really think long and hard about representing them because, you know, if you get on the wrong side of those guys, it's going to be a bad day for you. Mm -hmm. And I think he did, I think he made some in-court gaffes and sort of uh, rubbed them the wrong way, and then he just vanished one day and they never found him. So I think they've speculated that this may actually be one of the Manson family's attorneys uh, who fell into disfavor with them. Snuffwatch. Uh, here's your snuff watch uh, for Monday right here on the Rick Emerson radio program. The drummer from ABBA has been found dead with cuts to his neck in the garden of his house in the Spanish island of Malaracra. An autopsy shows it was an accident. A neighbor found the body of the 52-year-old drummer, Olo Burkhart, last night at his home in the central coastal area. Am I to understand there was a drummer who died in a bizarre gardening accident? Yes. Mm -hmm. Apparently, he hit his head against the glass door of his dining room, shattering the glass and cutting himself in the neck. He managed to wrap a towel around his neck and left the house to seek help, but collapsed in his garden. How would they know that seems fake? That that just seems like such a, a random story. He hit his head on the glass, it shattered, cut him all over the neck. Then he I mean, you would have out. to hit your head really hard. I mean, or several, glass. several times. Mm -hmm. Especially if there was nobody there and they're reconstructing all of this. Mm -hmm. That sounds like a thing that's not that's a not a cover story, but they're just trying to fit that together somehow. So his wife Inger died less than a year ago, and uh, let's see here. So everyone says it is uh, tragic. He had been one of the best. He worked with the band since the mid-1970s. He was also a creative uh, musician. He contributed a lot, and they uh, toured together. They also did a lot of studio work for ABBA. So, so uh, oh, and uh, he he was in the group's first single, People Need Love, and toured with the band in 1970, 1979, and 1980. And now he's dead. There you go. Drummer dies in bizarre gardening accident. Really. By the way, 
I don't know if you all saw this. Probably not. Somebody forwarded this to me. Uh, this is uh, yet another example of how it's different working at Kink uh, than it is working here. So this is a memo from inside the Kink building. Uh, the subject on this is spring reading. Did you know there's a Kink book club? No it's way. Like, not for the listeners, but for like people who work there. Says uh, This is an internal memo from Kink. It says, Our friends at Simon & Schuster have loaded up the Kink Book Club with several new titles. Please visit the table by the studio and pick up a copy of a book that strikes your fancy. Please share your review of the book with Anessa, whoever that is. Thanks and enjoy. So there you go. Well, we do have the Susan Summers home book over here. Please pick it up if you're interested in reading it. Please ask Dave Zinn for your copy. So we have, so we get the Suzanne Summers book and then a bunch of crap addressed to Matt Peterson that none of us wants. So we're at Kink. Uh, and I get the feeling at Kink that they're picking those up on a table that's right next to the same table that has like fondue and free back massages. Mm -hmm. So there you go. And Birkenstocks. All, right. All right. Here's uh, Tim Riley, the Ministry of Truth. Donnie and Marie will host the upcoming Miss USA pageant. They say the brother and sister song and dance stars will host the NBC Universal show April 11th from the uh, Planet Hollywood Resort and Casino on the Las Vegas trip. The network owns the pageant, and real estate mogul Don uh, Donald Trump owns uh, the real estate. The uh, rival Miss America pageant crowned its 2008 queen in the same casino in January. Pageant executives say the telecast will uh, represent the first time Donnie and Maria have hosted a primetime show together since 2000. Maria Osmond recently uh, competed in ABC's Dancing with the Stars. Donnie appears in College Road Trip, a Disney comedy with Martin Lawrence and Ravon Simone. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just reading this email. <laughs> what does it say? Back in college, I worked behind the counter at the Merrill Hurst Library. We also had an open-use policy at the library. You also didn't need to be a student to use the university library. This seems like it's going to end badly. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we had a couple of regulars that did indeed come to the library with the express purpose of getting their porn on at the library's expense. To their, to their credit, they would often wait until 5 p.m. before taking out their junk. <laughs> and would have the decency to turn their monitors away from public view. <laughs> and yes, the library closures would indeed draw lots to see who got to tell that guy it was time to, you know, wrap it up for the night and go back home. Uh, <laughs> that's terrible. There must be all kinds of businesses, and I don't, this is not really me asking people to call and list them, but there's got to be certain businesses or places you work that attract. You know, sort of like, I want to say unstable customers, but just people who come by maybe for, <laughs> I mean, maybe for reasons that are not altogether, you know, like, decent. I mean, you've got the library. you got to figure, I mean, you got to figure any place that sells any kind of sort of revealing or intimate or titillating clothing. I don't mean like a like a like one of those, like, you know, spice up your marriage places. I mean like a Victoria's Secret you got to figure probably once a week there's some shuffling weird guy in a raincoat who comes into Victoria's Secret and just wants to sniff things. I mean, you just, I mean you've just you got to know that that's the case. My niece used to work uh, a long time ago. My niece worked today at a place that sold, sold swimsuits. And occasionally, and like for like ladies' uh, swim apparel. And I occasionally there were guys who would just come in and I think they would peddle some feeble excuse about how they were buying something for their wives. And really it was just a lot of sitting there and staring at women who were, uh, you know, who were uh, browsing the varieties of merchandise mm. they had there. So, all right. Here's Tim Riley. Well, uh, gas that's over $5 a gallon has appeared in the big Sur town of Gorda. This is in Northern California. A gas station employee, James Wilson, says at least once a day he gets an earful for motorists who pull into Gordon about 35 miles north of Cambria on Scenic Highway 1. 
Now, they say all kinds of stuff like, you want to be shot, or where's your mask? The good-humored gas man says, hey, I just work here. Many potential customers slow down, look at the price, and keep on going. Station manager Leo Flores says the high price reflects the cost of bringing fuel to the town's remote location, as well as its reliance on the diesel generator for all its power. That's $5.40 a gallon for premium. Mm. By the way, did you? Uh, this is another reason why I love the British tablet. Did you see this picture, this thing about Nicole Kidman and Botox? No, I haven't seen that Oh, one. it's fantastic. I want to hear um, it. It just says it, it. It really, it's it's a long way to go uh, for one laugh. But it's basically a big story about how Nicole Kidman has become addicted, addicted to Botox. Oh yeah, her in, forehead doesn't move. In in their estimation, we don't know that to be the case because I do believe that she, uh, the Hollywood star, has denied using the anti wrinkle treatment. Recently, saying her look is completely natural. Uh, but Dr. Martin Brown, one of the largest proponents of Botox on the American continent, insists there is no doubt. Kidman has been an enthusiastic user. So uh, this is really uh, useless unless you go to this website. I'll put it on my blog later. It's dailymail.co.uk. But it's a big article about Nicole Kidman. They do the obligatory before and after where it shows her when she's like 20 and really stunningly beautiful. And then now what they've done because they're British and therefore bastards, they've put a picture of Nicole Kidman's face right next to right next to a picture of a bat. Oh, I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so great. It really is. <laughs> and that's the sort of thing that even even now in our coarsened American culture, <laughs> they would never do. Like the the LA Times. Can you imagine you USA Today doing that? What like on the purple section of USA Today, where it's a picture of Nicole Kidman, and then just like a big close-up of a bat. <laughs> I mean, that's got to be weird if you're a celebrity. I mean, I understand that the you know she lives here in America and maybe doesn't read the British tabloids, but I found it, and I live here. <laughs> Seeing a picture of your face right next to a huge close-up of a bat face. <laughs> Well, somebody was assigned to do that as part of their daily duty. <laughs> and then, and then, in case you've missed, <laughs> Sarah, you should put this on your blog. Actually, I'm trying to find it. I can't find it on the um, website. Here, here's the uh, wait. Uh, uh, the link is at the top there. Okay. You look at the link. And by the way, and Sarah will put this on her blog. It'll be at sarahxdillon.com. And in case you missed the point, like in case a huge picture of her face next to a huge picture of a bat <laughs> isn't enough. The caption below it says, Nicole Kidman looks like a bat. <laughs> it's wonderful. It's one of the best things I've ever seen. Bat face. <laughs> and it just, it's like a huge picture. Nicole Kidman looks like a bat, says the caption. So that's fantastic. Uh, there's nothing so fun as mocking the shortcomings of others. Mm -hmm. All right, uh, let's do one more, and then we'll take a break, and we'll come back. Here's what's still to come. Uh, Jim Roop will join us today to talk a little bit about Aiden um, Spears. Uh, we got a top five coming up. There. It's an awful top five. It is, uh, speaking of uh, the British press, according to Q Magazine, the top five CDs you will see in every used record bin. A top five so bad that I just cut my losses and never never put an honorable mention on because I just couldn't. Because these five songs were so bad, I couldn't take a sixth one. So I just uh, we just pulled the ripcord on it. Here's Tim Riley. Well, millions of swarming honeybees from Yakima are on the loose after the truck carrying them tipped over on a California highway. Eight to twelve million bees escaped from the crates, which were stored in this uh, truck. And apparently they stung some officers, firefighters, and tow truck drivers trying to clear the accident. 
The trailer truck flipped over while entering the highway. On its way to Yakima, they were coming back. The flat truck was carrying bee crates filled with 30,000 bees. Several beekeepers driving by the accident stopped to assist. Now, how could that pos- How many beekeepers are on the road at once, and how many are in this area who stopped to help? Is it like a mobile beekeeping emergency service or it, something it like an OnStar be. sort of a thing? Like flashing lights, beekeeper, beekeeper. <laughs> beekeeper, beekeeper, keep me a bee. So uh, the bee wrangling is still going on. So I don't know how they, they go about wrangling 30,000 bees and who has to count them. I don't know. That's a good question. And, and first of all, can I say that I love, and this is a Hollywood thing, mm. I love uh, the the term wrangler when it's used as a suffix, like for whatever kind of creature. Mm-hmm. Like if you looked at it, like an arachnophobia, spider wrangler. Uh, and then there's bee wrangler. Uh, what was that? Uh, there was some movie not too long ago where there was like some sci-fi thing where there were ants everywhere. Ant wrangling provided by. Mm-hmm. I love the idea that there's a guy who's in charge of wrangling ants. Mm-hmm. So my um, my older brother uh, at one point was a beekeeper. And uh, and had this uh, this unfortunate incident where he kept a whole hive in our backyard, which of course then I think went I don't know crazy or wild or mental or angry whatever whatever it is that happens. My dad my dad walked out into the backyard to like I don't know pick a zucchini or something and the, like a hundred thousand bees like converged on him at once. It was pretty righteous. Did you uh, silently laugh or go into the room? Oh, I, I didn't silently laugh. No, oh, I went no. into my... I, I shut the door, though, so I couldn't be heard. It was the most satisfying <laughs> thing that you could have seen. It was unbelievably satisfying. Um, yeah, because it was, you know, and it was uh, one of those things you keep bees. It's like a big, white, wooden box. And inside are all the slats that look like old... Um, a bunch of those, they look like window frames, like wooden window, wooden frames, but uh, but with uh, honeycomb inside. And there's like six of them in this big white wooden box. And I forget exactly, I don't know what happens. It's They do something or other uh, where the queen decides that, you know, she's had enough of people and it, the queen just gives the order to, like, kill anybody who gets close. Off of their heads. Yeah, because the bees were normally very docile. Uh, you know, it's that old cliche about they're more afraid of you than you are of them. And the, the, the bees are typically pretty well behaved, but the, the, the queen apparently had just had enough, and it was a bad day, and she told the she told like just attack anyone who gets within view. And so my dad just walked out of the backyard. Well, I'm gonna go pick me a cucumber. And the next thing I heard was this blood curdling scream, and there's like a hundred thousand bees, like this huge black cloud of doom, like descending on my dad. It was the best thing ever. And I was and I was sort of looking out my bedroom window, making sure to giggle into my pillow so that I couldn't be heard. Oh, it was great. Um, and then my brother, uh, Bob, who was the beekeeping guy, he had to do the whole thing where he put on, like, the big Devo suit and, like, at the whatever, that, like, smudge pot thing that bellows out smoke. And he's all... <laughs> blowing smoke on the bees. And when you're, like, an eight-year-old boy, that is, like, the best thing ever, that there's 100,000 killer bees in your backyard. I was the most popular kid at school for like three or four days after that. Oh, wonderful. Uh, should we take a break? Yes. When we come back, we'll do more news with Tim Riley coming up later on. Uh, top five albums you find in every bargain shop. Uh, I believe Peter Carlin from the Oregonian will join us. More of your calls and so forth. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. Don't go anywhere. Back after this. Emerson radio program. It's 503-733-2970. You'll have to listen next time. I got the worst story. This is from UPI. Is that what, United Press International, Tim? Yes, it is. 
This is, her, this is an actual news story. Boy, I just don't know. I just don't know. I don't even know what you're talking about. I know, because I've shielded you from it. Um, I, uh... You're doing the paper thing a lot today. <laughs> because I'm, uh, who wants to pre-read this? Tim, Sarah? No, go ahead. <laughs> we don't need a pre-read. <laughs> Sarah, why don't you read this? You just, uh, we're just going to listen to you. We're going to listen to you as you read this. I think it might be the same thing that I got earlier. Decided against No, again. Is... No, no puppies in this one. No? Is this about airline travel? Yes, it is. Okay. Yeah, I saw that. Did you pass over it? I did, yes. I'm, I'm not sure how to paraphrase um, that. You guys can do it. Okay. Um, <laughs> You're not as horrified as I was sort of afraid slash hoping. After the whole Target incident. Well, that's like, what I mean. It's I'm kind of desensitized. It is very similar to the Target incident, which everybody and their mother. Did you see how many national newscasts that story oh, made? It was everywhere. Yeah. The woman who had felt something hit the back of her pants. They put Oregon on the map. <laughs> Yeah, that and the toilet, baby. That's all we're known to the rest of the world for. Seriously. The Oregon Tourism Authority would like to... <laughs> and a tour bus goes by and people waving out the window on this side. Yeah, this is the Target store where some of our citizens go to pleasure themselves. Uh, up ahead, Applebee's. All right. That uh, is true. There's an, Applebee's right around, there's an Applebee's right around the corner from there. Oh, man. And if you keep going, there's the Marie Calendars on the left side of the street. Of course there is. Um, anywho, so we've got a story that is... Uh, so you already read this and, and decided against it, Tim? Yeah, Passover. <sighs> you didn't read it, though. Boy, you know, it is a news story. It is. This is the news segment on... So she, was, so she didn't even see it. She was asleep and then just discovered... She felt post? it. She didn't... Yeah, she... Uh, she didn't... Uh, I don't think she. <laughs> I, this is so. It, it's so, really just so bad. Well, it's a news story, though. It is. And by the way, the best part is at the top it says United Press International, 100 years of journalistic excellence, <laughs> as they're covering the story about a man pleasuring himself. Um, wow. I just don't know. Hold page one for replay. <laughs> a 21 year old Texas woman is suing, this is a news story, mm. on KCMD, a news talk radio station, a 21-year-old Texas woman is suing American Airlines for allegedly not protecting her from a man who pleasured himself near her on a recent flight. So was she uh, expecting some kind of tarp to be put over her to protect her? <laughs> <laughs> the, <laughs> I need a poncho and an extra blanket, please. Especially uh, what or, kind of protecting? Uh, or a life-size... Uh... <laughs> you have a... Uh, do you have a hairnet? Um, the woman whose identity has not been released to the public alleges that airline employees did not appropriately act when a man sat next to her while she slept on a March 19 flight and began to engage in an act of self-love. The Fort Worth, Texas Star-Telegram said Saturday. The woman's $200,000 lawsuit alleges that when she awoke on a flight to Los Angeles... She found the man engaged in said act of self-love. And uh, even though this is safe for the radio, I will, I will paraphrase it even further. She found the man uh, engaged in said self-pleasing act. <sighs> and 
and she discovered that her hair was no longer as clean as it once had been. Was it dandruff? <laughs> well, I got a sudden case of dandruff midair. I was. It sort of. I was. Uh, yeah. The woman reportedly was calmed by another passenger. What would calm you after that? You wake up and suddenly it's like a shampoo and conditioner all in one. Uh, the. She was reportedly calm. It's like in Silence of the Lambs. It's exactly like that when Jody Foster walks by that guy's cell, and suddenly the ah, what's that? Uh, well, it's not as bad as you think, dearie. The woman reportedly was calmed by another passenger for making the discovery. There, well, there, there. <laughs> well, and also there, and also up there. Uh, while the man was taken into custody by police once the plane landed, the suit alleges that American Airlines employees informed police they had seen the man take the seat next to the woman, but did nothing to move him back to his assignment. Well, they must have figured he was done. I mean, really, once you discover that in your hair, you figure maybe you're safe for the rest of the flight. You're safe for at least the next 15 to 20 minutes. Not so much. <laughs> maybe he'll be landed before his uh, recovery period has elapsed. Jesus. What is this? It's like people not being able to control themselves Seriously. in public anymore. Find the bathroom. Jesus, God. Or become a board op. <sighs> Here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. <laughs> Overheated bark dust is being blamed for a fire that caused $175,000 in damage to $1.3 million, 4,300 square feet home, and its contents in the old Evergreen Highway neighborhood in Vancouver. Now, nobody was home at the time of the fire. The blaze started outside after bark dust, which had collected on the landscape's lights, and the flesh with the ground heated and caught fire. Firefighters had to cut through a security gate to reach the home. The structure damage is estimated at $25,000. And there's smoke damage to the home's contents as well. A Portland man and a teenage boy have been arrested in connection with a BB gun shooting spree. Uh, the pair damaged at least six homes, two school buildings, and a car. This happened in Gladstone. They received several calls of BB shootings from a moving car. Several windows, including some at the Rural Middle School and the North Clackamas School District building, were shot out. Using witnesses' uh, descriptions, they tracked down the car nearby and arrested Reginald Tergaskis of Portland, as well as a 17-year-old boy... They've been taken to the Clackamas County Jail on charges of criminal mischief and reckless endangerment. By the way, here's somebody who works for the state who has said, uh, we were talking about businesses that attract uh, perverts uh, who then come in and engage in whatever sort of hideous behavior. This person says, you know, like at the health department, sex offenders really love that the girls are required to take their pulse and blood pressure. And she decided to shudder, shudder, shudder. Ugh. All right, here's Tim Riley. at the. Hey, did you see these photographs? Somebody sent these photographs of Lars when he was thin? No. I, I bet he was handsome. Was it's, he good-looking? Uh, sort of, I guess, in, in sort of a strange way. He kind of looks like somebody, but I can't I can't quite put my finger on it. Can I see? Yeah. He looks, especially in this top photograph, he sort of looks like somebody, maybe Will Ferrell a little bit. There's Lars when he was... The thing is, can't you see that even then he was but a fat person? Even, yeah, he's not thin there, though. He was thinner. He's it's, medium. He was, he was thin compared to his uh, his bulging current self. You can tell even then there was a fat guy inside Lars just waiting to climb out. He was. Uh, You're right. He totally looks like somebody. He. I can't quite put my finger on who it is, but especially in this top. He just looks goofy in this one. But in this top photograph, uh, first of all, there's some gut sucking happening there. I'm going to tell you that right now because he's got the big waddle. Uh, and you know, if you have the waddle, that's an all-over thing. It, nobody just gets a waddle. Uh, I can't quite figure. Maybe it's Mike Chase. 
Like if Mike Chase put on about 60 pounds, he might look like Lars Larson in this photograph. All right, here's uh, Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. A uh, Chinese woman has forced her boyfriend to have breast reduction surgery because his so-called man boobs make her look flat. So-called. What news? They make her look flat? From, yeah. From what news, uh, from what news service is this? Uh, this is from uh, bingos.co.uk. <laughs> That sounds like a reputable <laughs> news outlet. <laughs> this just in from Bingo News. <laughs> uh, she said whenever she went out, she felt embarrassed because her breasts were less eye-catching than his. Uh, doctors at the hospital at Changqing Medical University sucked out uh, plenty of fat and tissue from his breast, and he's doing just fine. Thanks for sharing. A pair of bank robbers burst into tears and collapsed choking in Poland after they tried to use pepper spray on a cashier in front of an air conditioning unit. <laughs> uh -huh. Where? Poland. The wind blew the spray back over the pair, who staggered from the bank in the southern uh, city of Roadclaw empty-handed. Uh, they told the cashier to open up the till and then try to put her out of action and grab the cash, but the pepper spray sprayed back in their faces because of the blast of warm air from the heater. They only managed to escape because they had a pal outside in a getaway car. Okay. Uh, let's see. They were wearing uh, woolly black babushkas, although <laughs> Polish media speculated that if they strike again, they might have to switch to gas masks. What's a babushka? I thought uh, a babushka was a woman. No, it's a kerchief. Like, uh, is that one of those things that the old Russian ladies wear yes. over their head? It's sort of like a, uh, not like a, like a do-rag, but like a scarf, sort yes. of? Yes. Or what, like a, 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 a kerchief? Yes. But put over the head. Like one of those ones underneath. that I have? Uh, yes, exactly. Like a, like a Rosie the Riveter kind of thing? Yeah. But sort of looped under your chin. All right, excellent. Does that make sense? Yes, it does, Tim Riley. Uh, juvenile sex uh, delinquents had a sex romp at a detention center after staff accidentally left security doors unlocked. Well, okay. Uh, the boys were able to sneak into the girls' dorm at the Dondale Center after dark. About six inmates, ages 15 and 17, took part in the Valentine's Day orgy. Uh, police well, it was Valentine's the Day. Yes. Uh, the territory mother said she was furious when her 15-year-old son, who was serving three months for a minor crime, told her he'd taken part in a jailhouse sex romp. Hello, Mom, I've just taken place in the jailhouse sex romp. He told me that he had sex in one room. It was a big Valentine's Day celebration. The staff on duty that night just left the doors open. <laughs> I was furious. No parents have been contacted against this. She's not furious that her son's in jail. No, no, of course not. It's not... Uh, the mother said she rang detention uh, general manager uh, Peter Walker to demand why she was not told about this uh, Valentine's Day sex romp. He said a few parents had contacted him about the incident, and something had definitely occurred. Uh, he blamed it on the staff to juvenile uh, ratio, but really couldn't explain how it happened. Well, okay. Uh, let's do one more, and I'm going to see if uh, if uh, Carl, uh, who's one of our AEs, is here. Because he came by my office yesterday, or not yesterday, uh, Friday, and made an interesting observation about something that I now need clarification on. But uh, let's do another uh, story here. A Taiwanese man hired an erotic dancer to perform at his 103-year-old father's funeral. The stripper danced in front of Chai Lingung's uh, coffin for more than 10 minutes at a funeral home in Chaehong Township. The son, K. Rungrung, paid more than uh, $160 to dance in memory of his late father. He promised his father that he would hire a stripper if he lived beyond the age of 100, and he was 103, so Doesn't he kept his promise. It seemed like the father would have could have used that better while he was alive. I would suppose so, yes. Let's see if, um... <clears throat> Hello. Hi, Dave's in. Hello, Rick. Hey, is, is Carl here? Carl. Carl. 
Carl. Carl Magnuson? Yes, thank you. Is he um, here? Do you know? I uh, could check for you. I don't could, think uh, so. Are you familiar with who he might be? Yeah, do you know who I'm <laughs> do you know of whom I'm speaking? Minnesota nice, Carl? Yeah, sure. Okay. Um let me transfer you to him. I'm not sure if he's okay. here. Before you do that, though, uh, before you transfer me to Carl, because I'm, it sounds like he may not be here, if I were to show you uh, a large plastic tub or trash can lined with a glad bag and then filled with hard alcohol and various fruits, what would you call that? Mm. Um. Did they not have such things at Dave's Inn High? Uh, is that like something to like Bob for apples kind of thing? Or <laughs> well, no. Now, did you ever go to a party when you were in high school? And no, they no, would... I never did. <laughs> that actually, that actually, <laughs> I, I, home. I wholeheartedly accept that answer is true. By the way, uh, did you ever know anybody? <laughs> I didn't know anybody. All right, bye. Here's Carl. Yeah, okay. Do I get the guess, or are you gonna wait? For I don't Carl? know. Because well, I, I know. What I we don't think it. he's here. No, he's not here. Uh, but up in my office, uh, long story short, I had, you know, my birthday was a couple Fridays ago, and so there was all of that stuff that got dropped off for me during the show, after the show, just like streamers and little gifts and you know, whatever. And uh, it, I couldn't figure out how to get it all upstairs, so I borrowed from Becca in promotions this huge red plastic tub. Uh, it's like a, basically a massive bucket. Uh, that I then loaded all of my crap into, mm-hmm. took it upstairs, and I actually haven't em- even emptied it out of it. I feel bad because I've got the promotions bucket. I don't know what they use it for. But it's still sitting up in my office on my chair. And so Friday, I'm just sitting there, and I'm working away, and Carl comes by. And first of all, you can always tell when somebody's sort of hovering in your doorway. You can just kind of sense that they're there. And so I and salespeople, that they give off some sort of a – it's like some weird bat-like sort of vibe uh, where, where you can just sort of feel their presence. And so I turned, and sure enough, there's Carl standing in the doorway. And, seeing so, you know, people are already calling about it. Um, and he's like, hey – and he looks at the bucket. And see, I I don't want to get – I he used um, he used a very specific term for it. And it was one that I had never heard. And But then two other guys, see, that's what I always heard it called, but two other guys came by the office, and they heard it called something else growing up. No, this is all, we, all four years of college. This is the kind of party that... They had never heard that term, ever. Really? They had never heard that term, didn't know what that was. They all, though, had a specific term that was from their region that was huh. used to describe that. Tim, does that word mean, don't say it on the air, but does that mean anything to you, that word? No. All right. So we're going to do just a little Instapol, just to sort of see if it is. It, now, see, this Instapol might end up not being very productive because we, a lot of the people here are probably from this region. So, And you are from the Northwest, mm-hmm. so it, it, that might be the term that everybody here knows. So It has to be. I mean, I've never heard it called anything else because those were a specific kind of party. Yeah. Uh, it, he called it something else. And one of the other sales guys that came by called it something else altogether. And none of them had ever heard anybody else's term for this. So we're not going to do a little instapol. There's a little bit of a, a cultural uh, uh, testing that we're going to do. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. So if you go to a party, there's a, and you probably don't do this now, it's a high school. You go to a party, there's a guy who has a big plastic tub or a trash can or something lined with a plastic bag. And then it's just full of, like, uh, it's like a bunch of chopped up fruit and then a bunch of alcohol. What is that called uh, in your estimation? 
We'll just uh, go through these calls here as they come in. It's 503-733-2970. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, Rick. What is that called, sir? We called it Jungle Juice and uh, it mixed it with 151. All right. And so now did you – so was there a specific recipe? It was like Bacardi and blank? Yeah, well, you just uh, – uh, any kind of fruit that you could think of and let it soak overnight. And uh, I made the mistake of eating the fruit. Uh, yeah, you don't want to do that. No, my friend Brian did that. It Everclear. No, it was, well, it, it was always an Everclear. That was, oh, that's right. It was Everclear. You're right. Everclear. My friend Brian did the same thing. It was like half a grapefruit. I'll just eat this the next morning. Yeah, and just, yeah it was a whole lot of hurling <laughs> after that. Yeah, you don't want to do that. All right, excellent. Where did you grow up, sir? Uh, here in Portland, Oregon. All right. Thank you, my friend. You bet. All right, we'll do uh, we'll do just some of these sort of as they come in. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Uh, what uh, is that called, to the best of your knowledge? Hello. Sounds like the phone's not even up. Is the phone no, up? It is. All right. Did you pick it up on the right Thanks side? Thanks for playing. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Uh, yeah, instant poll. Yes. Is this Rich? Yes. Yes, yes, yes this is Rich. Richie, this is Ken. I played paintball with you. What's up, man? Oh, what, uh, Richie Bristol. No, you're on the air, sir. Uh, Oh, crap. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm, uh, I, I call it jungle juice. Yeah, jungle juice. Okay, fair enough. Did you ever know another term for it? Um, See? No. That guy, that's the only thing. That was what one of the sales guys said, by the way. That's what he heard it called. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. What did you hear that called growing up? Jungle juice. Again with the jungle juice. See, Sarah? Do you, it's like that is here. weird. It is a we weird... made it in the tub. In a, uh, like a plastic tub, and then it was. Now, did you put oh, it like a? Did you like line it with something? Tub. A bathtub. A bathtub. You, you literally, you literally drank an alcoholic concoction out of someone's oh, bathtub. Hey, Everclear. You know, hello. I, I guess it is the great purifier. It'll clean all the all the grime. <laughs> all right, thank you. All right. All right. Uh, let's see. Oh, I just. Oh, I'm sorry. That was me. I just hung up on some people. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hey, Rick. How are you? Hey, what's up? Hey, we uh. We called it jungle juice, except for we didn't have any real, like, it was Everclear or Bacardi or anything. You just, people brought bottles, dumped it in there, added the fruit, and that was what it was. It was just like, it was like when you were a kid and you go to Chuck E. Cheese and you would just put every single kind of soda that they had at the fountain into one cup. Yeah, absolutely. Which no is, graveyard trick. Exactly. Exactly. It's a, and it's a thing as a kid that you thought made you, made you really edgy. No, 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 I put everything in here. That's all we did. You put everything in there, and the fruit masked the bad taste. Exactly. Thank you. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. What was this called? Spody. Yeah. There you go. We called it. That's oh, man, and my dumb ex-girlfriend decided one night to have a party and made it in the freaking bathtub with no liner. (laughs) I woke up the the next morning. I was not privy to this party. I came home. I wake up the next morning. I've got to go to work at 5 a.m. I go to step in the shower. I'm like, what? Why the why the hell are my feet sticking to the shower? <laughs> and then I, I find out no this that's that's where we made the spody. Oh, in dude. the shower. <laughs> and you know they didn't clean it beforehand. No, 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 they didn't. It's just it's the most disgusting thing in the world. Excellent, thank you. Thank you. All right, I right, here on the Rick Emerson show. Hey, I don't know if this is what the guy from Minnesota is saying, but. They call it uh, Wapatui back in Wisconsin, I think. So okay, but that, now, give, give that to us a little slower. Wapatui, or another shortened term of it, just, you know, take the first syllable, which is kind of derogatory, so I'd prefer not to say it. Now, is that to, uh, now, the, uh, please, to your, to your best of, uh, the best of your ability, spell the word you said. Uh, you know, I looked it up on Urban Dictionary, and I couldn't even come close to figuring out how to spell it. 
But I mean, just spell it phonetically. I'm trying to figure out how to pronounce it. W-O-P-A-T-O-U-I, maybe? Wapatui. Yeah. Uh, so now, now Carl, again, the Carl the sales guy, that's what he called it. And it was a I weird, have never, I have never in my life, I don't even know He's what that means. He's from Minnesota, right? Yeah, he is, and he is from Minnesota. It must be a Midwestern thing. See, how we weird it. is that, that there is not only a regional-specific uh, thing, but there is actually a Minnesota-specific term for that. So he used that word, which, again, is like a ratatouille, I guess, but it's wapatouille, wapatatouille, something. Uh, and then there's the spody, which is what Sarah called it and what I called it. Mm -hmm. All the guys who grew up here in Portland called it jungle juice, and no one had ever heard any of the other terms. And it's bizarre that there's also a Minnesota-only term for this. Yeah, I would call it a Midwest, but I'd heard jungle juice when I got out it's here. It's weird. And out here for five years. Yeah, so, yeah. dialects and weird regionalities like that are endlessly fascinating to me. All right, thank you, sir. Yeah. All right, that's we'll do two more, uh, and then we'll take a break. we got Peter Carlin coming up, Jim Roop, top five, more from Tim Riley. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hello. We called it Spody in eastern Washington. Eastern Washington, that's, that's one. Yeah, that's where I went to college. Thank that's you. Why. How would you spell that, sir? S-P-O-D-I-E. Sarah? I don't. I spelled it S-P-O-A-D-I-E. And it makes you wonder if there is a definitive spelling. And, and whence does that name even derive? I don't know. But what the hell does that even mean? All right. Uh, hi, you're on the... This stuff, I could talk about stuff like this all day. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Yeah, we call it Kickapoo Joy Juice. Is the what? Kickapoo Joy Juice. And where do you where are you from, sir? Colorado. Colorado. So you so maybe there's like a see now don't you want to kinda of know don't you want to sort of see a map of what it was called, where, to kind of figure out how many different names there are for a single type of beverage? Alright, yeah. did you, did you have a a specific recipe you used, sir? Uh, no, I never made it. My friends did, but it was kind of an homage to the comic strip uh, little Abner. Oh, okay. Fair enough. All right, I can see that. All right. Thank you. All right, there you go. I don't think we've ever had a little Abner reference on the show before. Hi, you're on the Rick Everson Show. Hello, it's, uh, we call it Space Juice. Space Juice. Uh, right from where are, where are you from? St. Michael's College in Burlington, Vermont. So there you go. So that's at least five different names from five different regions that we have discovered for this one particular type of beverage. And also, can I speak for everybody when I say that that is a beverage one never enjoys after college, ever. Uh, usually it's high school. I guess maybe some, I didn't go to college, so maybe sometimes at college. But I don't think anybody has ever gone to a party as an adult where that was being served. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But I think that is a, uh, I think that might be a college-only thing. All right. Uh, oh, is this Roop? Damn, is it 205 already? We booked him at 210, didn't we? Damn, is it 210 already? No, it's 204. No, that is, that is James Roop. Well, we probably have no choice but to do this uh, now, then. Uh, let's do one more of these calls, then we will talk to Jim Roop. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Who this? Hello? Hello, hi. What is your uh, observation, sir? Oh, um, well, I guess I was going to add one more about yeah, the, uh, the juice. Yeah. Um, it was called PJ when I grew up in South Carolina, which was an acronym for Purple Jesus. Okay. And in Nashville, it was called Hunch Punch. Hunch Punch. Yeah. So that brings the total now to, I think, eight different names. And again, yeah. and you were from where, Vermont? Uh, no, no, no. I grew up in South Carolina, South Carolina, and I went to college in Nashville. Okay, I'm sorry. South Carolina and Nashville. So yes. every different, every single state so far seems to have a different name for it. Seems. All right, thank you. Okay, thanks. All right, there you go. It's just weird, and it's one of those things that you didn't, like, you never really think about. 
until somebody mentions it and sort of highlights the difference. And you wonder, like, how the name is created, how everybody learned it, and why... Because the drink is made the same no matter where you go. No matter where you went to high school, I think the basic mechanics of that drink are all the same. Now, we've heard bathtub, and we've also heard, like, big plastic container. But the drink is basically made according to the same parameters no matter where you went. It was always, uh, like, a big container with, like, a plastic bag, a bunch of crap, including Everclear, and then a bunch of chopped up fruit inside of it. So if the drink itself is served everywhere, why does it have a different name everywhere? I mean, that would, that's sort of weird. That would be like the martini suddenly coming into existence in every state, but having a different name in every state. It just doesn't make any sense. Uh, see, that's the sort of thing that said there needs to be like a, like a miniature documentary about that so I can figure it out. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from Los Angeles. CNN Radio correspondent James Roop. Hello, sir. Good afternoon. What's up, brother? Hey, you know, you tell me. Um, let me ask you this. When you went to high school and or college... Uh, did they ever? Did you, ever uh, I go, did, both. did you ever go to a call, uh, to a party where they would serve you? It was uh, basically like a huge tub, sometimes with a glad bag inside, where it was just a bunch of alcohol and fruit mixed together. Uh, you know, it, there it, something does sound familiar about that, but I got to be honest with you. By the time I got to a party, I was barely coherent. <laughs> All right, fair enough. You know, I mean... It would have been redundant for you to uh, in, imbibe alcohol at that point. Well, no, I still did. You just don't remember it. I, yeah, uh, seriously, there were several years I just don't recall. It's a, sort of a lost weekend kind of a thing. I'm ashamed to say it. All right, well, you know, you've come out on the other side of it with, uh, you know, with, with character. <laughs> you've become a textured human being because of it. Thank you. Uh, all right. I was um, always destined to be a journalist, I guess. <laughs> I suppose. Um, uh, well, I mean, I guess it's it's obligatory that we talk about Britney Spears because she was sort of in the news today. But I do do I speak for everybody when I say that I guess she's still in the news? But I I feel sort of burnt out on it lately. That it's just all of the Britney news lately. It seems like it ought to be interesting, but it's all just kind of boring. Well, and it seems like every Monday I start the week with some Britney story. Right. You know, uh, there were two of them today, really. Uh, Sam Lufty, the you know that that sometime manager, mm -hmm. sometime companion, uh, agreed to stay away for 30 more days from her and her home, 250 yards. And then the judge today, or a commissioner, court commissioner today, ordered that Britney Spears must pay $375,000 to Kevin Federline to help take care of his legal fees. Fantastic. I mean, that Mark Kaplan, Federline's attorney, asked for nearly a half million bucks. But the judge said, ah, three hundred seventy-five thousand. Does Kevin Federline have any visible means of support at this well, time? Well, you know, that's Stacey Phillips, who's Spears' attorney last week when they were arguing these these motions here, said that, you know, he left a two thousand dollar tip on a three hundred fifty dollar bar tab or something, and and he's buying jewelry all over the place, so he has the money. But the court commissioner today said, eh, that doesn't really matter because Britney's the reason we've had so much litigation and so many delays in the litigation, so she should pay. So no matter it doesn't matter how much Kevin Federline has or doesn't have, Britney's the reason he's here. So she's got to pay up. Yeah. I thought that was a pretty cool thing to say. I suppose I uh, and then so this is and and to the best of your knowledge, I guess the dad is just sort of keeping her under wraps right now, right? He's just sort of trying to keep her from. I mean, if she is crazy, trying to keep her from being crazy in front of a camera. Yeah, you know, which is odd because. He he fought for this conservatorship, and so you would think he was trying to take over her life and her finances and all this stuff. Who was the guy's a caterer? Right, right. right. Uh, but by the same token, he's making sure 
that she's looking good because the judge, if the judge says, you know what, you've been keeping yourself in decent shape here, so I'm going to give you back all your stuff. Now you're in control of your life again. I mean, he could conceivably have her keep screwing up so that he can be in control forever. But, you know, so I don't really know his motive here. I, I can't, you know, I, I can't gauge this guy. Well, and the mom is totally what she's. I mean, where is the mom in all of this? Because she, uh, she's she's around. You know, I, I think they're closer to the people are giving them giving them credit for. Um, they, they seem to be genuinely concerned about. And I don't think she's Brittany's necessarily a meal ticket. I think she's pretty selfish with her stuff. I don't think she, she gives it away right. too easily. I think at this point they're concerned about their daughter. You know. Um, meanwhile, the other one got herself in a lot of trouble. <laughs> Maybe they're just, well, that's the good thing. You know, Jamie, Oops, we got two. Jamie Lynn Spears has got to be really grateful every time Britney's in the headlines because it keeps people. Did you see that thing about how Jamie Lynn Spears is apparently so, uh, so awkward about being pregnant that she's like taken to taping down her stomach with an ace bandage? Oh, she's, she's just too young. It's a whole lot. It's a whole lot of like, uh, no one will know if I just sort of cinch it down a little bit. Well, Angelina Jolie went for how long or, uh, who, who is it? J Lo, whatever the hell. They were. She wouldn't admit she was pregnant for a long time. She, well, what do you call that thing? You hiding a basketball <laughs> under there? I never even knew Halle Berry was pregnant, and she pushed out a kid this weekend. Didn't even know she'd been impregnated. Yeah, she's. she's yeah. Yeah. She's been pregnant for nine months. Now. Uh, all right. Let me just tell you this right now. The next, if you ever get a chance to interview Lynn Spears, I'm seriously, I, I will give you a hundred dollars if the first question out of your mouth is, "When's that parenting book of yours coming out?" <laughs> Seriously, if you can get her to if you can get her to respond to that on, on camera, sir, we'll give you whatever you want. That is, I just want somebody uh, to find out about that and or leak it, sort of OJ style. That would be the the only question I would get no answer, but it would definitely be worth asking. Yeah, really. Well, that would just be... for the silence that would follow. <laughs> That'd be the end of the interview, but it might be worth it. Thank you very much. Uh, all right, brother. Enjoy the rest of your day. We will talk to you very soon. Thank you, there sir. You go. James Rue. By the way, we've now so Wapatui is W A P. A-T-U-I. And I found the recipe at bardrinks.com. Some guy sent this to me. Uh, and so uh, they had shortened it by just calling it a WAP. Uh, I used to be concerned about my WAP. Or what WAP? 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 Well, whatever it is. Wapatui, I guess, is the full name. And it's spelled that yeah, way. I've never even heard of that. How about this one? This guy says, hey, by the way, I'm from the Midwest. There it's called the Hairy Buffalo on KCMD Portland. So, uh, huh. uh, Richie Bristol, can we obtain Peter Carlin? This would be a good time to do that. Uh, let me do these two calls, and then we will talk to Peter Carlin coming up later on. Top five and more. This uh, is uh, whoever you are. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, Rick. Hello. We always called it uh, Party Punch. Party Punch. All right. I'm going to create a website where I track all of these by region. Okay, but I'm from Portland, Oregon. Mm, all right. Are okay. you originally from somewhere else? No, I was born and raised in Portland, Oregon, and actually we still drink it. My cousin makes it every year for Halloween. Excellent. All right. But he separates the fruit, and you eat the fruit separate and then drink the drink at the same time. Well, of course, because it would be gauche to behave otherwise. Otherwise, it would be classless. No, no, that's the way you just get hammered faster. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. All right. Uh, hold on. I don't have my uh, I don't have my thing here. Hold on a second. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's now welcome to the uh, Rick Emerson Radio Program. Peter Carlin joining us now. Hello, sir. Hey, dude. Hey, how long are you, uh, for how long are you off from the Oregonian? Uh, two months. Two months, and then you are going to be going to Britain when? Uh, on the 6th of April. And you are there for how long? Two weeks. Now, is this another thing where you're going back to uh, 
Where, if I can ask this now, where where have you already been? Because I know you talked to some of the, the old the quarrymen guys, right? Yeah. So is that uh, a dumb question? Is that that's Liverpool? Some of them, <coughs> excuse me, some of them are in Liverpool and some of them are in London. Does that place suck? Is it depressing? To talk to the liver. To the I mean, the actual town is that because you always hear that it's just so beat down and awful. No, well, that's all. That's old news. It's it's a great. It's a actually it's a lovely town. There's sort of a. Is there a resurgence going on there? Yeah, there has been for like I think I think it really got screwed over in the 80s because they're a real leftist socialist type place, and so they didn't really have a whole lot of uh, leverage during the Thatcher era, and in fact there was a time when uh, I believe it was believe uh, it was. <laughs> At least the way people tell the story now, that the uh, that the you know the federal not federal I don't know what they call it but their national government was actively trying to destroy the town according to some people. <laughs> That's got to be a good feeling when you're living someplace and the government is actually doing everything they can to actively decimate it. Yeah, and so you know, but now it's a very happening place, and in fact, it's like every year in Europe they have like a city or two is designated the cultural capital. And they have all kinds of events and things going on. And so this year, Liverpool is one of the cultural capitals of Europe. How much of Liverpool's, uh, like, you know, like annual gross domestic product or whatever is Beatles related, do you suppose? You know, I think it's, a, you know, I mean, tourism is kind of an, you know, an unlikely and yet thriving um, uh, industry for them. And I think obviously the Beatles are a big part of that because people want to come and right. check out where they used to hang out and stuff. By the way, uh, so now that I am uh, I'm caught up on Battlestar Galactica and I got like a month to kill before that show comes back for its fourth and final season, uh, The Wire is over. Uh, so uh, before we talk a little bit about uh, the uh, most recent episode of Lost, I want to tell you that I am catching up on two things. I'm catching up on Friday Night Lights, uh -huh. uh, which now is that coming back for another season? I think it looks like it is. Yeah, I think NBC cut a deal with um, some damn channel or other, some cable channel. And so they, and I, now I forget who you're going to ask me, but I forget. And I think they worked out a thing where the cable channel is going to be able to run the new season, like within days or whatever. And they're going to, you know, so they're, they'll, they'll take some of the financial burden off of them. So that's good because I don't want to invest a whole lot of time in, like, I, I started watching Deadwood, which I think I actually am still going to watch. But as I have begun watching Deadwood, I've already gotten a bunch of emails from people who are like, by the way, just... Be prepared for the fact that it ends on this massive cliffhanger, which is never resolved because they canceled it. So it, it's like I'm watching every episode with this sort of increasing feeling of dread, knowing that I'm going to get the big shaft at the end of it. Well, um, I think the word – I don't know if David Milch has, like, totally bailed on the idea, but I think that there was some sense that they were, uh, that they were actually going to, uh, to, to, to make those two two-hour movies to bring things to a uh, – to a uh, uh, um, to actually end the show, give it some sort of a closure. Closure. I'm all about closure. Because you can you can tell sometimes uh, when you watch a show when they don't when they're not entirely sure that they're gonna be back. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember the Freaks and Geeks was like that, where you going into the the series finale or the season well, it, it was the season finale ended up being the series finale. You could tell that they were really, really unsure about whether they were going to be returning because they wrote it so it could sort of be interpreted either way. Right. Uh, I think that is the enduring legacy of a show called uh, a show like my so-called life, uh, where I, I think they really, honestly thought they were coming back for another year, and then they just effed everybody. Uh, ABC did by canceling it, right. uh, thus leaving everybody sort of angered and tantalized by the whole thing. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm going to be catching up on that, and then as sort of an antidote uh, to the, the grim bleakness of Friday Night Lights, I'm going to be finally, finally, I will be, uh, I will be beginning Thirty Rock. Oh, smart man. Well, it's like on the list of things that I feel like my cultural literacy is lacking right now. So anyway, so I'm going to be watching that. Uh, Lost. I don't watch it. Many people do. The most recent episode. Your opinions, Peter Carlin. Go. It was. <laughs> I dug it. You know, it was cool. I, I was watching it very late at night and um, on Thursday, and I'd been up since very early in the morning, and I was a little sleepy. But and at first, I didn't understand. There's this kind of. It, it involved the Korean couple, Sun and Jin, and uh, and there was flashbacks or flash forwards, and Jin was having the baby that she's pregnant with on the island. And Jin is frantically trying to get a a a a, a, a bear, you know, like a toy. Uh, and at first, you're convinced that you know he's rushing, he's doing this because it's the kinder, gentler Jin who is who's now very all about Sun and their family and everything. But then, what you realize at the very end, there's this kind of uh, surprise when you realize he's actually that she is in a flash forward, but he's in a flashback that goes back to his more bloodless days as a. Uh, as a functionary for Paik Automotive, which is his father-in-law's business, and has him do all sorts of bloody and ugly, you know, mobster corporate type type things for him. And um, but I think the show ultimately turned out to be about, in my interpretation at any rate, sort of about sort of you know son's you know uh, redemption and the fact that you know and then you kind of there's this other shocker where they go visit uh, where or, excuse me Jin's redemption. This is all becoming way too detailed, and I can hear your eyes glazing. No, 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 it's not. I'm just, I am sort of fascinated. What happens is you realize the show, it was a very clever, it was a very deceptively clever structure for the show, which at first I thought was just kind of, you know, kind of like a, a red herring, just sort of pointless, you know, kind of like cooler in, in theory than execution type of trick that didn't really have a lot of narrative weight to it. But then later I realized when I thought about it for a day that no, this actually was an extraordinarily clever and subtle way to make a point about this one, the redemption that the one character does, you know, seems to have experienced and, and how it is that though he seems to be dead at the end of the episode, that something awful happened to him on the island, you realize that this was actually part of his redemption and he may not be dead after all, that sort of remains to be seen. And there's a lot of mysteries. But anyway, the larger point is that if you are, in fact, catching up on shows, you're doing yourself a severe disservice by not going back and catching up on Lost. Now, I uh, I am now uh, going to be, because this is what, season four? This is season four. Okay. So I uh, bailed partway into season three. Okay. So I would actually not have that much catching up to do. No, you really don't. And it's that halfway through. I mean, people, I never felt like the show sucked like it really lost steam. I know there were parts where it kind of, they, t they would take these, these, you know, do these kind of side stories, which ultimately didn't seem to really play into the main mythology or whatever. But that never bothered me because I just sort of thought like, you know, these guys are such good writers and this is such a fascinating milieu and the questions that they're kicking around are so interesting to me. I'll follow them anywhere. And even if it's like an hour or two hours worth of episodes that ultimately don't amount to much, it's like it's a pleasant little journey, you know, as far as I was concerned. The writing is so much better than, than any other network show, at least, you know, network drama. I kind of felt like, you know, man, what's, what's not to love? Well, and apparently uh, the episode last week made some of Sarah's friends weep like small children. So. Yeah, see? 
So, all right. Uh, let's see. I had something else I was going to ask you. Oh, just a, 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 two brief things. Uh, one is, have you ever been told that your phone voice sounds a, a lot like that of Dr. Drew from Celebrity Rehab? No. Okay. Just I'm telling you right now. Your phone voice, your mannerisms, you, Dr. Drew, separated at birth. I, well, I do believe that that, that, that that you have issues and that you need to resolve them before you can move ahead. <laughs> Are you going to tell me ten seconds into the conversation that I must have been abused at some point? <laughs> tell me about your father. That is... Well, let me tell you what, though. I, I, did, I used to live with a guy, I mean, not like that. I had a housemate. Who... <laughs> well, not like what, Peter? I, I had Peter, a housemate. I believe who, you uh, may have issues of your own. I do, I do. I'm deeply in denial. But his voice was so much like mine on the phone that I would pick up the phone and say hello, and then his mom would begin to talk to me as though I were her child. And I, I could carry on like that. For Please a tell me that you exploited that to some humiliating uh, effect. I, you know, I, I, you know, I've been friends with that family for, since I was a kid, so it, it seems it seems like not not the right thing to do. But then once, back in the early days of my career. Uh, uh, I was friends with, or I still am friends, but I had become friends with Jack Oman, the cartoonist, and 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 he was doing a radio interview and and in a studio somewhere, and people were calling in to ask questions, and then uh, the phone they picked up a call, and it turned out to be my housemate who has my voice, my telephone voice, and so I was sitting there in my apartment or wherever I was at the time, hearing myself ask Jack Oman an annoying question that somehow involved me. <laughs> And 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 later after the show was over, I didn't know what to do. It was a very surreal. I feel like I, I'm in some sort of Escher painting. It was like a sci-fi type <laughs> moment, and I was like, "Oh my god, oh my god!" But there was nothing I could do. You know, there was nothing I could do. And then like the show ended at like 9 a.m. and at 9:01 a.m. my phone rang and it was Jack going, "What the hell is the matter with you?" <laughs> and I was all like, "It wasn't me. It wasn't me." He goes, yeah, it wasn't you. All right then. Um, as a final note, before we go, I if, said it was Dr. Drew. If you, if you have ever, uh, by the way, uh, never mind. Um, if you ever wondered uh, who the ugly Americans are that keep certain uh, vile television programs on the air, yes. I can now tell you that uh, one of them is my wife, because my wife, who had been giving me, not unlike you, had been giving me all kinds of grief for watching Dexter, uh, because she felt that it was sort of morally corrupt and horrible. Dexter on Showtime or yeah. Dexter on CBS? Dexter on Showtime. Okay. Um, and so, uh, and so my wife was sort of, you know, like, she would come in and what are you watching? And I'd say, Dexter. And she would sort of, she would roll her eyes and then you know, kind of give me sort of like a, like a clucking of the tongue, like a disapproving sort of gaze. Uh, and then she would walk out of the room. And at one point, I invited her to watch it. I'm like, honey, you, baby, you ought to try it. It's a great show. And she's like, I'm not going to be part of your, you know, your titillating, gratuitous sex and violence programming, Rick Emerson. She's like, walked out of the living room. It was not 48 hours later that I walked into the living room, and she actually paused the television. She hit the TiVo, the pause, and she actually ordered me. She could get out of the living room. Leave. And I said she had clearly been caught watching something embarrassing. Sort of like you mean to catch a guy watching porn or something. Yeah. And she's, you know, she's like, yeah, turn away, I'm hideous. And I said, uh, I said, what are you watching? And it came out that she was watching Moment of Truth. And oh, dear me. Not only was she watching Moment of Truth, but she gave the most American answer when I asked her why. Because because she hears, I mean, she's fully aware that it's a vile program. No uh, doubt. As, as you yourself have noted. And so she was like completely aware that she was watching just humanity at its worst, just at its its darkest. And I said, I said, baby, you know, it's a bad program and it's, it, you know, it hurts your soul. Why are you watching this? And yeah. she, she actually said, she said, I'm only watching it to see how bad it gets. 
Yeah, people like to say that. that I, I kind of understand that impulse. Uh, that was her thing. She's like, I'm just watching it because I want to know how bad the program can become. But that show's got such a bad uh, – to me, the vibes are so awful, and it's just like, you know, I feel worse about myself when I watch it. Well, there's been some speculation that the show is actually kind of a setup, that it's not uh, – that it's not on the – that some of the, the, the some of the people are plants. Yeah. And so I don't know if that's true or not. I know that there was something that came out a while back where they were saying that it, several of the folks who've been on there uh, were actors and or actresses by, by – by by, uh, by profession. I just hope so. All right. For the, for all of our six? Yeah. All right. Are you around next week? Uh, no, I won't be. All right, then. So uh, then I guess we will speak to you. Probably it's going to be a few weeks then before nah, we... No, uh, I'll talk to you in two weeks. I'll be around the, the next week after that. All right. So Monday after next, my friend. Uh, yeah. Until then, may the good news be yours. <laughs> God. <laughs> hey, keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. Will do. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Peter Carlin. Fantastic, wonderful, excellent. All right, it's 503-733-2970. Uh, let me just read this, and then we'll take a break. Come back. Uh, Tim Riley, top five. Rick, thought I'd purge some jetsam from my head after listening to a podcast. Uh, first off, Morgan Grace was great. She sounds like a modern female Johnny Cash, but hot. Morgan, not Johnny. Secondly, could you send a birthday shout-out to my brother today, time willing? He's a longtime listener, former Glorious Bastard of the Week, and he is the guy that got me hooked on your product. He turned me, uh, he turned 31 yesterday. He is Casey Coddington. Happy birthday, Casey Coddington. Happy birthday. Uh, thirdly, I'm a huge fan of the Rick Emerson Show and Viso, and I've been spreading the word about both. Uh, why isn't the Rick Emerson Recap sponsored by Viso? Seems like the Viso tagline, more of everything good, is a natural fit for the recap. I'll get a salesperson. I on wore that. my Viso sweatshirt last night. You know what? I wore that Viso hoodie out, and I had not to, but I did have one person actually. I don't even think they knew who I was. I don't, they, I don't think they knew I had any association with Visa. Just like, it's great. Where'd you get that? And I said, oh, I go to their website or whatever. So, um, by the way, uh, it says PS2 is a prime number, and your top five list is deeply flawed. Love the show. All right, thank you. <laughs> we come back. Tim Riley, have you news? Oh, yes, it never stops. Excellent. Come back. We'll have news and then uh, a truly awful top five. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. <laughs> Not continue this conversation okay, yes, on the air. Stop right now. Other men to the camera. <laughs> Wait. I regret nothing. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. My teacher made me urinate into a lunchbox. That's the claim of a 13-year-old student from Orange County, Florida, right in front Wait. of the whole class. Orange oh, County, come on, I'm where? Still playing the sound. Florida. That was all me in your. You didn't even show up for that. That was, you know what, you didn't even play. I was still playing the news center. That was not right. Wow. Now, the sixth grader at Middlebrook Middle School in Orlando said he told his language art teacher he needed to go to the bathroom. So she said that he could wait until class was over or 
use her lunchbox. Now, this is the teacher's uh, lunchbox that she was going to lend the boy. That's great. To urinate in. The boy <laughs> said he didn't want to wet his pants, of course. Of course. So he chose to urinate into the teacher's lunchbox. <laughs> the first-year teacher who is attending an educational conference right now in New Orleans <laughs> will be suspended with pay. And then there will be an investigation. Okay. Uh, the teacher has yet to be interviewed by school officials about the allegations. Mm-hmm. Well, here's a, uh, an unfortunate tale. Let those haji had concealed a $12,000 engagement ring inside a helium balloon. The idea was his uh, prospective uh, wife would pop the balloon as he popped the question. But as he left the shop, a gust of wind pulled the balloon <laughs> from his hand, and he watched the ring and quite possibly the affections of his girlfriend sail away from the rooftop. Oh, that's the best thing I've ever heard. I couldn't believe it. I was just watching it as it went further and further and further until I couldn't see it again. That's the best thing I've ever heard. Oh, wonderful. I hate guys like that. Honey, I've filled 500 balloons, each with a note inside telling you one reason I love my stupid brother did that with his so, wife. anyway, this is the end of the story. When she found out, she went absolutely mad. Now she's refusing to speak to him until she gets in the ring. You oh, yeah. Tell, oh, sounds like she's yeah, really marry working. her. Marry her yeah. now. She's a prize. Don't let her get away. I bet she wasn't an Asian woman. In other news... <laughs> Yes, Tim. <laughs> well, let's do a Darwin watch. <laughs> Here's your Darwin watch. I have a feeling Monday. that bad stuff is about to go down. Don't, don't, oh. don't. I ate all my cap. Oh. Don't, don't, don't. My parents don't Thank you for making the first day back from vacation much easier than I thought it would. <laughs> what I do. Uh, it sounds, Tim, like the woman he is with is very materialistic. Mm-hmm. A spoiled American pleasure seeker. Perhaps even overweight. <laughs> hey. Oh, my heart just stopped. Ah, there it goes. An 18 year old Winter Park, Florida man was killed late last night. From where? Florida. Damn it. After riding a shopping cart while holding on to a moving sport utility vehicle. Well done. Cameron Berbruli was sitting in the shopping cart in the parking lot of University Apartments while hanging on to a Cadillac Escalade. <laughs> uh, the car in the shopping cart went over a speed bump and the cart overturned, ejecting the man. He was pronounced uh, dead at the scene. <laughs> Dumb. Mm-hmm. Uh, the driver was not injured. Well, how could he be? <laughs> Excellent. There's your Darwin watch from Monday. Another Harrison show. Another one busted. Don't, don't, don't. Another one busted. And another one gone. And another one gone. Another one busted. Fantastic. All right, uh, Tim, uh, before we do the top five here, mm-hmm. uh, I've got something you'd like to hear. This is a gift from Mailman Chris. All right. This is CBS. That. Oh, I like that. How great is that? The that old school. Mm-hmm. Also, this one. CBS presents this program in color. Remember that? Too. Isn't that fantastic? I'm going to find a way to work that into your news. Opening. I like that. Uh, all right. <clears throat> Shall we do the top five? Yes. All right. Here's your top five. five by all four, means. All right. Three, two, one, fire. Counting is marvelous. Counting's the best thing to do. Counting is happiness. Counting is ecstasy. A boy's best friend is his mother, Sarah. Uh, by the way, before we do that, can you drop that level for just a hair? Hi, hello, sir. You had a brief question for Tim Riley? I don't know if it's brief, but I had a question. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I had a rental in the area, and I got a call today that the U.S. Marshals busted down their door looking for her uh, stepfather in a cockfighting uh, ring. And I was wondering if there's any news about that, and I want to find out who's going to pay for my door. So this is a place you rent, or, you know, you rent to someone? Yes. Hmm. Oh, here we go. Yeah, right there. Cockfighting busts snare 25. (laughs) And one of these, is it a place that you own? Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) And the person they're looking for wasn't even there. And so you're wondering who's going to pay for your door. Oh, here it is. Crack down on cockfighting. The tale's coming up. So, uh, Tim, in your... 25 arrests. In your experience, Tim, who pays for repair of that door? I don't know. I've never had a cockfighting incident. I, I just went to a nice lady. All right. Uh, well, we'll look into it, well, sir. this is Rock Creek. What do you, you know, expect <laughs> these things? Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll try to find out, sir. Um, Thank you. Can I put you on hold and have uh, Richie get your phone number? Yes. All right. Richie, get this guy's phone number, if you would. Oh, these are 17 separate incidents. Yeah. 63 people. See, at least you... See, Tim... It was called Operation Red Rooster. In Oregon, but in Washington, it was called Operation Tattered Wing. Really? Mm-hmm. Operation Tattered Wing just sounds dumb. It sounds a little rougher. <sighs> All right. I'd like a tattered wing and three legs. Mm-hmm. All right. Here's Tim Riley. Oh, with they his found top. 50 guns. Really? Mm-hmm. I guess they threatened the... How the... violent can a rooster get? I don't know. I guess if they were all to, you know, like, gang up. Mm-hmm. All right. Here's Tim Riley with your top five. Uh, so in the world of music, not everything is good. Some things are bad, vile, just plain awful. Some things are so horrible, you want all traces removed from your house forevermore. These are the top five CDs you'll see and ever use a record bin, according to Q Magazine. This is according to Q Magazine, a British magazine, so your mm-hmm. mileage may vary, but this is Q's estimation of the top five used CDs you will see everywhere. Five, Tina Turner, Private Dancer. Ugh. I'd agree with this. You know, this, so much of this list... Uh, and Tim will agree with this, is corporate rock. Yeah. Just, first of all, does that little gong at the beginning sound just like that Human League song? Mm-hmm. Can I be the first to say this? Tina Turner's got a weird and I would say unpleasant voice. Mm. I mean, it, it sounds, I mean... Is there something I'm missing? I mean, she has moments where she can really project, but she sounds weird a lot of the time. This is awful. It's a terrible song. When this record came out, you could not get away from it. This song? Yeah, this is a huge hit. I don't think I've ever heard this song before. You better be good to me. This is the same one that had Private Dancer and uh, whatever other crap. Yeah, that's when I said that I had to drop one of the songs from this list because I just couldn't stomach it. Every single one of these albums was overplayed, like, until it was just a pile of ashes. Not even burned out. I mean, just decimated. I mean, I am beyond sick of every one of these albums and every one of these singles. Yeah, this was a huge song. You could not get away from this. What was the other? Uh, what was the other song on this record? There was this. There was I'm your private dancer. That one. Yeah. And there's one other one on here. Yes, I know. You keep telling me that you love Can we please be done with the song? Yeah, that's what I have. That, that's why how I felt about every single song on this list. Top five CDs you'll see in every used record bin. Number four, Rick Astley. Whenever you need somebody. 
This is like that. This is together forever. That together. This all, you know, this is also like the What is love? Oh, God. I mean, they're all sort of cut from the same cloth. 245 on the station that plays the hit. Wow. <laughs> After all these years, wow. That's dumb. <laughs> what, what, what weird dumb abilities we all have with certain songs. <laughs> was it some stupid song that you pointed out that I talked about? Freebird or something insane. This sounds like a little boy trying to sing like a, a grown-up. Totally. When is the last time you had to talk this up as a DJ? Oh, 1989? How weird it is that your brain has held on to that skill for like 20 years. Well, I still remember like tags I've done from, like, from the early 90s. Yep. Visit Jesus. your eighth grade Chevrolet dealers, courtesy Chevrolet Santa Barbara. God damn. Uh, number three uh. is uh, Peter Frampton. Frampton Comes Alive. My sister had this album. Uh. I didn't even have the stomach to go. This song is. How long is this song? 18 minutes? Yeah. It doesn't even seem possible now that you would put out a, a live album with an 18 minute song. And this was his debut album. Yeah. Frampton's Camel. Oh, no, Frampton Comes Alive. Frampton's Camel came after that. I didn't. I did not. Uh, I didn't have uh, the the in, the intestinal fortitude to go all the way to the wah, 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 wah part that happens. Like it's like the song never even begins. It's like it, it takes five or six minutes for it even to start. I think Mike Myers is the one who made the joke about Frampton Comes Alive. How were you in the suburbs? You got it in the mail with a box of Tide. Standard issue in the suburbs. Another record. I used to have to play this when I was a rock DJ. Like once a shift, it seemed like this would come up. Who is really into Peter Frampton? Who was really into Peter Frampton? Teenage girls were told they were. Because they, did it come with a pull-out poster? Uh huh. This song makes me want to kill myself. All right. Top five CDs you find in record bins. Number two is Vixen with Vixen. I kind of disagree that this would be higher than Peter Frampton on the list. This sounds like the intro to something else, too. Sounds like the intro to Living Out of Prayer. Jesus. Yeah, I can hear that. Who is Vixen. it? Vixen. Vixen. Do you know who Vixen is? Mm -mm. Vixen, their gimmick was that they were an all-female hair metal band. Imagine, you remember, uh, you've seen pictures, Sarah, of when Poison had the full-on big hair looking like women thing going. Do you know what I'm talking about? When Poison really looked androgynous. Imagine, I kind of like that look. Imagine four women who look like that. Four stick, they look like men who look like women? Yes. Four stick-thin blonde women who look like men, who look like drag queens. Interesting. And, and then this is, then they were supposedly tough. And you could tell they were tough because one of them wore a leather jacket. Don't give us a thumbs up sign. Totally. And they played the axe. Oh, I don't mind this. <laughs> I mean, you you don't mind it because you didn't have to hear it a billion times. It's time to say goodbye. <laughs> All right, I have to Google awful, them right now. Awful, 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 awful. Crash. Jesus. These are the... These are the... I think Richard Marks wrote this song, too. These are the uh, top five albums you'll find in a record bin. Phil Collins and everyone with But Seriously. Jesus. Another record that it was over. And there were like 15 different singles in this record. I have to leave the room for this one. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, Tim Riley, greatest newsman in the history of the world. Back at 4, 5, 6, and 7. Top of the hour all the way through. Like, it's good to have you back. Yes.
There was, because this album had, uh, I Wish It Would Rain Down, Something Happened on the Way to Heaven, this, something else, some other crap, Another Day in Paradise. I loved that song. <laughs> the very definition of soft rock. That song is like room temperature water. 25 beats per minute. Bum. 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 Did you see Vixen? Yeah. They don't look like trannies. Oh, that's you're looking at the wrong picture then. <laughs> well, is that them? Yeah, that's toned. They're toned down a little bit there. All right, let me find let me find a more extreme version. An extreme version. Extreme. Vixen, and of course, and they were they people tried to market them as like a female heavy metal band. And I mean, they were just they had two singles. They had um, Edge of a Broken Heart, and they had something called Crying. Do you they find do another look like one? Transvestite. You're right. There you go. That's, yeah. that's closer to, to the deep. Huge <laughs> hair. And like leather pants. And... Like leather fringed jackets that they would wear. Ooh, that's bad. Yeah, Vixen sucked. Oh, Jesus. Is this still playing? All right. Let's take a break, shall we? Back after this. I have to turn it off now. All right. We're done. Okay. Take a break. Now into the saddest part of the broadcasting day, the final segment of the Rick Emerson Show. How long do we have here? Two minutes. All right. Let's uh, do some of these calls. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. How can I help you in these final moments? Hey, Rick, I was going to tell you why uh, Frampton Comes Alive was so popular. Okay. Okay, well, and I remember I was like at Ground Zero. I was 16 when it came out, and the first thing I remember thinking was, who the hell is Peter Frampton, and why does he have a live album already? Yes. But it was a double album with a double fold. So there was like three sections to the album, uh-huh. and you could clean your pot stems and seeds out on it. <laughs> Excellent. And, you yes. know, for a $10 bag of pot, it took about two hours to clean everything out of there, so you'd listen to the album. All right. Thank you. There's that guy. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. <laughs> I just wanted to chime in with that guy. I'm dating myself here, but when I was a freshman, here's my geekiness. Uh, one of those cheesy uh, Kmart cassette players, you know, back in the day. Uh-huh. played cassette. I was sitting in my high school. It was freshman year. Jamming out to Frampton Comes Alive, all by my lonesome, of course. Of course. Oh, it was sad and pathetic. That was not really music to woo women with, no. Well, also the Phil Collins thing I thought was a little off base. Just that. Are you still there? Yes. All right. Thank you. We have to go. Uh, let's see. How long do we have here? Um, A minute. All right. So I'm trying to find what you were asking me. Hi, Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Uh, yeah, I, I was just going to chime in and uh, let you know. I think the other Tina Turner song was uh, What's Love Got to Do What's With It. What's Love Got to Do With It, right. That was the third awful single from that terrible record. Oh, ah. Uh, well done, sir. Thank you. Sure. All right. And Should we last, chance one more? Last call of the day. That guy was good. He was informative and brief and succinct. Last call of the day. Don't suck. Okay, I will be brief. Uh, first of all, Frampton Comes Live is a great album. And uh, I was just going to uh, – actually, it's funny. The first guy mentioned it as well. If you if you if you look in the creases of that double album, you will find more little bits and pieces of pot than any other album in any other record collection. Maybe we should do a top five albums on which seventies dudes cleaned their you know, sorted their pot. Yes. I'm gonna end now before I suck. All right, thank you. Bye bye. All right. Thanks. Thanks so much <laughs> for being conscious of it. All right, we want to thank Cena Radio Correspondents, Jim's Roop uh, Jim's Jame Roop. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. 
<laughs> Jim Rupin, Lisa Desjardins, as well as Peter Carlin, uh, and stuff. All right. Rick Emerson, show producer. <laughs> I'm glad the end of the show is going well. <laughs> producer, the lovely and talented Sarah Stillen for AM 970 State Radio. In the newsroom, Tim Riley has returned on the phones. Richard Bristol, the uh, Dick Keepers, uh, Dave Zinn. The brand new AM 970 website is uh, from Bridget Upstairs, the webmistress, and of course, CBS Radio Portland Marketing Guru, Susan Reynolds. Check out the brand new website at 970.am. Don't forget, live streaming coming soon. Like us next on a mic at 7. See you tomorrow at 10 a.m. I regret nothing. Bye! Get rid of the C word. I'll leave when I'm good and ready.